I'm trying to think of a clever doop-dee-doo-diddly-doop-dee-diddly-deep. Hey, boomers! Welcome once again to another episode of your favorite fortnightly online guide to the Sega-sational world of the 1990s and the official Sega comic right out of the United Kingdom. It's Sonic the Comic, the podcast. And we, as always, are your humans who think we're in charge. My name is Chris McFeely. My name is Dave Bulmer, and we've got a third this episode. As anyone who saw the episode title knows, who are you? Uh, I'm Shamey, uh, also known as Shamey online. Uh, <laughs> but just spelled differently. <laughs> yeah, just spelled phonetically because of Americans, really. The bane of this podcast. <laughs> I do very long YouTube videos. If you've got that seven hour Pokemon video and you recommended that won't go away, I can only apologize. And I've been reading STC since I was a tiny wee lad. And I was fortunate enough to work with the unofficial online continuation, uh, Sonic the Comic Online, for many a year, like last 10 years, I think. Oh, wow. Staffed a few of the tables and all that stuff. Shame is responsible for what I consider the best Sonic-based videos on YouTube. Sorry if this is embarrassing to you because they're quite old now. I don't know how if your opinion of them has changed, Shame, but the Sonic spitball videos, I, I still hold up as the best ones I'm proud of them in a lot of ways, uh-huh. especially that third one. I, there's not much I would change about that third one. Right. The, my biggest regret is I feel like I did Sonic Adventure 2 really dirty. Y- impossible. I was very dismissive. Impossible to do Sonic Adventure 2 too dirty. You say that. You say that. <laughs> Listen, here's okay. the thing. Like, is okay. that Sonic Adventure 2 is one of the most culturally complex games ever made. Uh, <laughs> I say that without a trace of irony. Because what you... Uh, like, hear me out. Hear me out. Right. 1991, <laughs> Sonic Team, finger on the pulse with Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic the Hedgehog became, besides perhaps Bart Simpson, and I think that is arguable. Mm-hmm. No, I put Bart Simpson above him, but Bart Simpson, Sonic the Hedgehog, like that is the list in order of 90s icons. Mm. 2001, with Sonic Adventure 2, once again, it's bumbled 10 years later, their finger was still directly on the pulse of pop culture. And they were completely predicting that whole early 2000s change from like very optimistic, very cool, very snarky, very bright colours to that kind of more grungy, dismal feel. But not not grungy and dismal and, and like countercultural and cynical about capitalism in any real way. Like very cynical in a sitting in the back of your mum's car listening to Linkin Park on the way to McDonald's with. Yeah. <laughs> that rivalry between Sonic and Shadow, I think, is, is manifested in that game. It's really interesting ways, and I just completely dismissed it in Sonic Spitball. I was just like, ah, the f*** off. Don't care about Shadow. I can't hmm. dispute your logic, but you were <laughs> right to dismiss it. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I, I'm not a big Shadow fan myself. I'm not a big Shadow mm. guy. I think you had to be a certain age when Shadow came along. Um, you have to be a certain age and receptive to a certain amount of Dragon Ball to be able to be interested in that sort of thing. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> it was very in line with what a lot of the other platformers were doing at the time as well. Jack and Daxter came out and it was like, oh, fun, sunny, you know, like, oh, it's... it's... Mm. Battle Chasers, basically. It's just kind of like an adventure game. Like Banjo-Kazooie, but an adventure game. Okay, and then Jack 2 comes out and it's like, I'm going to kill Praxis. Good game, though. Oh, yes, yes. Absolutely. Oh, dear. What a silly time it was. 
Not like 1996, a cool time! No, sir! What a segue! Particularly November 27th, 1996, when issue number 92 of Sonic the Comic was released, though its cover dated December the 10th. Yeah, so we're in a sort of Schrodinger's Christmas at the moment. I mean, we'll come to it in just a moment once we go inside, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I had a violent reaction to (laughs) realising what time of year it is. Yeah, no... (laughs) Uh, the cover at full blast yeah and it's sonic doing a great big zoom around a big rocket in the shape of robotnik's head and it looks as if citadel robotnik took off that's what it looks like i actually thought that is what it was yeah and was a little disappointed to find out that that is not what the story yeah, is yeah i know yeah you wonder why it isn't oh i suppose no you read no, the story then you read, read, yeah. the story goes yes that yeah, story yeah. being head in the clouds it says here on the cover the new story of the issue plus decap attack captain plunder and more Oh, Captain Plunder. Me. Can't wait for this. And we've got Sonic 3 Q-Zone, How to Beat the Bosses, and we've got Saturn Reviews for Discworld and Virtua Fighter Kids, and we've got a Grabber Badnik pinup. They can't all be winners. Mm. Control Zone. It's nothing again, mate. It's nothing. It's very dry. There's no theme. There's no joke. Yeah, they, they've stopped... <laughs> Megadroid is less of a character now and more of just... It's almost like the... um, What's the word I mean when it's in previews? The solicitations now. It's just like, yeah, here's what it is. Mm. I'm not willing to write him off completely. This control zone is dominated by a large list of 80 boomers who have won the cool patch compo from back in issue number 81. Mm, The Sonic 2 jacket patch. So Megadroid's welcome screen is left. It's very perfunctory to get it all in and just be... There's no room to have a joke. Yeah, I'm not willing true. to write off Megadroid forever just on the basis of one or two of the last issues where they had all... The, it was the same last issue where they oh, had, yeah, to, they had was, to put in the misprinted page of Sonic's world. Yeah. So we had to have a small welcome screen because there was no room for anything else. Because yes, literally all he does is list what's happening in each of the strips and that's it. But for the fact that he opens it by saying... STC's almost in festive mode. But before we count down to Crimbo, allow me to reveal what's in this issue, I left my body (laughs) when I realised that it's Christmas now. It's not, it can't. I know. And I know we were, it was just Halloween and Bonfire Night an issue or two ago. It can't be Christmas yet. I'm so confused. Uh, I'm, I'm really resisting, not just that it's Christmas, but like that it's Christmas 1996. We're going to... When we enter 1997... That's the late 90s. They officially begin with, you know... I'm basically not a child anymore at that stage. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm... 97, I mean, I... I'm going to turn 15, and that's not not a child, but it's not like, um, what I... In myself, I didn't feel like a child after that. You gotta stress it was a very much an at the time yeah. thing because we're forty and fifteen is the littlest. Baby. I know. Have you seen fifteen year olds now? They're like two. Have you seen them? They're so little. State of them. Oh, the fact that they're expected to do exams kind of makes me angry for them. I'm protecting <gasps> now. How would it make you feel if I told you I was literally three years old when this came out? Oh, I didn't know you were as young as that. No, you little <laughs> widdly. Wait a minute. Why are you interested in the things you're interested in? <laughs> you're interested in our stuff. Because I'm Scottish. We're like 10 years behind everybody. <laughs> How did you not get on board with Sonic Adventure? That means you were yeah. seven or something when it came out. That's seven or eight. That's the perfect. We've just been talking in recent episodes about how that's the age yeah. you are to get into stuff. <laughs> 
Because there's a few reasons. Number one is uh, my mum was very resistant to me getting a game console. Ah, so you're um, on hand-me-downs. Handhelds are fine. PC was my mum was the original like PC gamer. <laughs> Both of those were absolutely fine. Consoles, no, uh, not until like I think it was like 2003 in the GameCube. Oh, yeah. The other reason was was that like I dread STC. Mm. I got this every fortnight. There was yeah. STC. It was mostly reprint issues. But yeah, yeah you'd be a few more years before you were reading it regularly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was like issue 120, 130 odds when I started. Well, that's not that far away. It's only another, just a little over a year away. So the reprints were actually very useful for yeah. me. If bit confusing because I didn't understand there were reprints because I didn't read the control zone because you know they had the control zone and then pictures of Sonic <laughs> <laughs> straight to the pictures I vividly remember in 1999 we didn't get Sonic Underground and the world rejoiced <laughs> up in Scotland but one year we went on holiday to my aunt's down in London uh-huh. and we went down and I was like I can watch Sonic Underground like <laughs> finally you know like the LB on television and I sat down and I watched one episode and just all the interest I never thought about Sonic Underground again correct <laughs> because I had Sonic the Code it was like hang on a minute this, where, where's the Chaotix where's Knuckles mm. where's where's the, who are these two jokers saying they're like Sonic's a prince <laughs> I didn't know the F word at this point, but I was thinking the six-year-old equivalent of it. <laughs> Bother. Fiddlesticks. <laughs> Diddly deary me. <laughs> the We've already established that the Mega Drive chart is now just a dead fish flopping around and we're sad about that. Well, there are there are some new entries in it. Yes, there are two new entries. That's the thing. That's what I'm focusing on today. We've got two new entries in the Mega Drive chart, but bear in mind, new entry on the chart doesn't necessarily mean new entry in the world. And what we have is Lotus Turbo Challenge. That's a game from 1992. Oh, dear. <laughs> and we have Disney Collection, which is a compilation of two games from 1990s 1 and T. <laughs> Res- oh right! Yeah. Respectively, it was going to be like Aladdin and the Lion King. No, it's Quackshot and Castle of Illusion of all oh, things. God, it's not, not even, even World of Illusion. World. Not even Castle and World. No, so that's that's a shame. And then uh, over on the uh, Saturn chart, we've got a new entry from Space Hulk Votia. Space Hulk Votia. Um, that's not what it's called. Mm. There's been a marvellous little screw-up here. I wanted to go and look it up mm. because I read it and I thought, now that doesn't sound right. But also, <laughs> if this game came from Japan, there's every possibility that Space Hulk Votia yeah. is its real title and that they and it's just a nonsense word they've made up. Do tell me what the screw-up is. Well, for, so to, to begin with, it's not from Japan. I mean, this is British. This is Space Hulk. Fair enough, then. But I worked backwards, really. I, I saw the title and thought, surely that must be from Japan. Space Hulk is Space Marine. Yeah, that's Games Workshop. Oh! That was Warhammer's predecessor, right? Warhammer 40k. Yeah. And I knew it from games, uh, as in video games, because there's there'd always been Space Hulk computer games. It was on on the Spectrum. They've been doing them for ages. This one is called Vengeance of the Blood Angels. Blood Angels being a kind of space marine. Ah. <laughs> so you can see what's happened here. V-O-T stands for Vengeance of, of the, the... And EA is EA Games. That's who published it. Oh, yeah, that's... So however this was abbreviated to get to them, Vengeance of the... And then they ran out of space and then the publisher is EA. That's what's happened here. Are you sure? Are we sure it wasn't that they misread the B as an E? Yeah, that's what I was going to say, because you could misread a capital B as an E. That's also possible. It was published by Electronic Arts, as was their name at the time, but that's also possible. In which case, they just had the front of their B scribbled off. (laughs) I just want to pick up on something in the Saturn charts as well. Number two is Nights into Dreams, which I would be upset by, because that is a banger of a game. Uh 
but it has been replaced by Exhumed. Okay. Uh, which was known as Power Slave in America. Yes, we had this last issue, I think. It's the ancient Egyptian doom, right? It is so good. It, they, <laughs> they recent, I'm absolutely delighted because they recently re-released it on the PC. So this was many people, including my first opportunity to play it. Yeah. It was called Power Slave in America, exhumed mm. over here. And since it was a re-release, they called it Power Slave colon exhumed. exhumed. Mm. <laughs> and I just golf clap about that. That, that was... That was a great little piece of marketing. This is a recent re-release we're talking about. Oh yeah, this was last year. Was it? And they chose to maintain the name Power Slave yeah. in 2022. <laughs> um, <laughs> hmm. The Hive, Part 2. Written by Nigel Kitching, art by Roberta Corona. Colours by Steve White, letters by Tom Frame. Vesper and his wasp marauders invade Charmy's hive, but Sonic is able to get the better of them by faking a surrender in order to gather all the wasps in one place, then generating a hurricane with his super speed that blows them all back out into space. Charmy reminds his mother, the queen, of an old tradition that says anyone who saves the hive can ask for any reward, and Sonic against his better judgement, asks that Charmy be allowed to leave with him to rejoin the Chaotix. What, what was the point of this? It's got a cool bee spaceship in it. I mean, no, no, I'm not down on the bee spaceship, you it's understand, cool but spaceship. I do think you apply more value to it than I do. Uh -huh. I really like it because it fleshes out Charmy a lot. I say fleshes out, that's maybe a little generous, but um, it adds an interesting texture to Charmy that he is actually, like, royalty. He is a person of quite high standing, but he's also just a buffoon. Yeah, that actually, yeah, if he's, like, the highest power character but the lowest power in the group that that's quite funny and interesting i just wish they'd done something similar for all the chaotix uh, it would be interesting to get a proper backstory on them all because the thing is the chaotix in stc they're a bit mysterious still like we never really know who they are they just we get some more about mighty and his family later do we on in the series yeah oh i oh, can't remember oh yeah 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 oh, yeah well i'm looking forward to it that, that's my cup of tea then yeah it's just that as a story itself there's just not much here is there yes it's fun to sort of see charmy's fleshed out a little bit again saying as you say fleshed out maybe not the right word but 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 i don't think it amounts to anything down the line and you know it's like last issue we had that overwrought setup of the whole oh yeah we're making gold out of anything we're alchemist masters wizards of the lore we know how to do the forbidden knowledge and uh, then this issue it's like well the wasps want to steal it but they don't and that's it and uh, that doesn't then that doesn't mean anything like the so that they're having that knowledge that ability that wealth amounts to nothing either there's just sort of nothing here. Would it have worked for you better, perhaps, if this had come before the Fundamental Four? Uh, maybe. Uh, I like the Fundamental Four with the idea that it was introducing something to be fleshed out about Charmy. You know, it's it planted the yeah. seed for the thing. And then this was the, and here's what that was about. And what it turns out to be about was nothing, really. Um, so I don't know. I, th I think it would probably have diminished the fundamental four for me a little if it had come before it. That makes sense. I hadn't thought of it in those terms because to me this doesn't feel like nothing. But now I think about it, yeah, do we ever see any of this again? And you know, I'll grant you, okay, I can't sit here and swear with 100% certainty we don't because my memories no. are well off the edge of the cliff now at this point in the podcast. 
But I'm pretty sure we don't. Yeah, I don't think we do. I can say with certainty that we don't in the original mm. print run. We do when we come to the online continuation. Right. But even then, that is literally a, like a single word speech bubble. <laughs> well, there you go then. Yeah, that's a shame because this is interesting. If this is, if this is a thing that exists in the world, what they're doing at the moment is they are trying, and you can say if you like, struggling, to flesh out the special zone. Because that's what's going on right now. This is the special zone era of the comic. And, mm-hmm. like, it hasn't really connected with us, has it? It hasn't... Home of superheroes and bees. Yeah, it's... Just... And if that was part of... And this, and this, and this, and this... There's all this stuff in the special zone. I think that would be one thing. If there was some big endpoint story where it all collided. Oh, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Well, I just mean if it was wide enough and had enough things in it that we don't remember it as just superheroes or bees, but as loads of different things... That might be different again. Um, that, that's fair, yeah, if there'd been... You know what I mean? If it was less limited, it, it's trying to be unlimited, and in doing so, it's feeling incredibly limited. There is a lot more in the special zone uh, with the chaotics to come. I'm adhering to the, the podcast style of, of no spoilers, <laughs> but I, I do think that's what they were going for with just kind of yeah. a bit of everything. The negative zone, that's it. Because a lot of, um, a lot of SDC draws from... Lee and Kirby's Fantastic Four run, there is an insult in the original Fantastic Four run where the thing says, oh great, maybe you can go make him a nice milky drink. And I <laughs> yelled because Sonic uses the exact line later on. Really? Yeah, unprecedented confirmation that, that <laughs> Elson and Kitching enjoy comics, I guess. <laughs> but the Chaotix crew themselves have a lot of the Fantastic Four flavour to them. Oh yeah, the bickering superhero team yeah yeah absolutely yes just it's kind of like a spoof of that because it's never really pulled together when it counts it's always just complete happenstance yeah they're not a family they are no begrudging co-workers <laughs> who tolerate each other's presence <laughs> yeah i think that's what it's going for just because in, in fantastic four like some barmy new thing was happening every, every issue, issue yeah and just as with fantastic four no disrespect to lee and kirby but not all of them can be winners, can they? <laughs> Sometimes you gotta deal with a Miracle Man or a Kurgo, Master of Planet X. My question was, why are they Mongols? Well, we did raise this last issue, yeah. Yes. Um, and it seems to, it's just because they're like marauders. It's really it. You know, it's, it's a, yeah. they're a horde. It's a vaguely racist shorthand for horde. Yeah. Marauding invaders. Because that's all it is. They don't do anything else. And, you know, to the credit of the script, they're not in any way, you know written as racist stereotypes or speaking in broken English or anything like that. No. It's just an aesthetic choice that's been made to communicate that they're marauders. We just recognise the hat and goatee combo, don't we? Mm. Well, yeah. well, yeah. It's kind of like the classical depiction of Genghis Khan. I was looking to see if there was any particular inspiration that jumped out at me. The closest I could find was John Wayne in The Conqueror in 1956, but couldn't find anything further than that. I mean, that sounds plausible to me. Like, this fella isn't doing anything else John Wayne related, you no. know, so... We've had enough John Wayne in the comic for a bit now. And I feel like that's me looking for stuff and it's just like, yeah, just, you know, they are marauding conquerors, so... Yeah. I like this one little bee... I call him a captain. He looks like a captain. They don't call him a captain, but he's got a little moustache. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same sort of visual shorthand. You immediately know what that bloke is all about. He's the head of an army underneath a queen, and he's got a little, little moustache like that. You know, he definitely talks like that, and he's very much... That's definitely what this guy is all about. 
The half-lidded eyes as well give him a very bored in the face of invasion demeanor. The hive is lost. Finally, if we can't stop him here, the hive is lost. Yeah. I've got three notes for this entire strip, and here they come, right? Go on then, just bat them they off come. one more three. Number there. one, page two. I liked the bit where Vesper says, this is it, the hive is at our mercy. And one of his men says, and we don't have any mercy. Good little line. Yeah. Next page, page three, we learn something alarming about Sonic's anatomy here, as the angle and shadow shows us that his head uh, hovers just a couple of millimetres above his body. <laughs> you see that there? You see the shadow of his head there. There's no, he hasn't got a neck. Well, we know Sonic characters don't have Don't necks. have necks, exactly. This is just the first time that that's been explored properly, yeah. They just pivot on an invisible axis. And finally, page five. We have reason to believe, based on pages of art that we own, that lettering was all still done by hand in those days. But there's a, a typeface error on this page that can only really happen uh, with yes, the computer yeah. font. And that is, uh, yeah, you've spotted it. When Vesper says on the bottom row, first panel of the bottom row, you can't defeat us all, Hedgehog, the word all is bolded except for the last L, which isn't. So I get, so perhaps Tom Frame has got himself a computer now and we've entered the that era of lettering. I mean, maybe. Because you couldn't do it accidentally by hand, could you? You wouldn't just stop bolding I mean, a word you know, the, the, in the middle. The bird might fly into the window and distract you for a <laughs> moment and then when you got back to work you forgot where you were and yeah, true, <laughs> moved true. down to the next word. That, that, yes, that's more or less the story of my every interaction with trying to get anything done these days, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like uh, Sonic's fight with Vesper because Sonic, he just mops the floor with these guys. Mm. Like, you know, he, Vesper says you can't defeat us all and I'm like, I don't know, mate, I, I reckon he probably could, actually. He's Sonic, and he kicks ass. <laughs> kicked your ass. <laughs> probably could yeah. defeat them all, actually. Give him enough time. Jeremy's going, oh, did Lady Rimi just look at their weapons? And Sonic's like, weapons? <laughs> they don't have any weapons, as he grabs every single weapon from their hand and returns to where he's standing with an arm full of weapons. There is some vintage Sonic pattern here. <laughs> the ending of it. With Charmy. Yeah. Charmy, don't ever tell Chaotix I asked the Queen to allow you to come back with me. Why? Because you're too modest. No, because if they find out, they'll probably kill me. I know this version of the character gets a lot of sh** online. For, uh, <laughs> wrongly. Wrongly, for being a jerk. Oh, he's, he's so mean. He's such a mean guy. I think it works so perfectly, both for the character and for his skill set. Yeah. That kind of like confidence, the arrogance, the I'm better than you thing. He is cool. You believe in him. He's like, yeah. you're like he is abrasive, but I'm glad he's on our side. Hmm. <laughs> What we were saying in the first part of this story, last issue, the harshness of his dialogue did feel a little overplayed. You know, talking about, I'll let Charmy be abducted, it'll be fine, you know. <laughs> but uh, this uh, moment here at the end of this story is like that other moment from last issue where Sonic goes, he's not my friend, no, sorry, you can have him, I'm not getting involved. <laughs> then you turn the page and Sonic has gone with them in, in yeah, off-panel yeah. in between times. And that, bar the fact that Sonic actually had to say in dialogue, he's not my friend, which again is misjudged in its harshness, the comedy moment of him actually being, of course, I'm not going to let this happen to you and 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 making the choice that's right for Charmy to help the guy who is his friend much as he may not like to admit that he's his friend it's good those work and they play well as moments that happen off screen in between the panels yeah catching is very good at that very good at pacing knowing when to stop and cut and let juxtaposition do the work but I think Sonic's harshness works because it is Charmy yes in this case because everybody hates Charmy but I've always maintained that the comic itself has never presented Charmy 
as being as annoying as everybody seems to think he is. Depends how annoying you think it would be to hang around with someone who's diddly doing all over the place, I guess. <laughs> it's not the same, no, but pretending what it would be like to hang around somebody like that is not the same as reading the character on the page. Yeah, okay, yeah. And I love Charmy. So I just, <laughs> I just, and I think if the comic had, and I've always loved Charmy, I always thought, I always thought it was funny when he said diddly. <laughs> Well, yeah, my, my question was going to be, like, what is the Charmy you love? Because that's, that's kind of all he is. He just says diddly. If that's what you like, you're fine, yeah. yeah I like yeah. that he says <laughs> silly things. But no, there have been some I mean, great jokes with Charmy. You know, what do you make of all this, Charmy? I haven't really been paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> Turning the fundamental four into a pot and then everybody getting mm. mad because it was such a stupid way to win the fight. <laughs> yeah. That's great. I love that he keeps winning. It's like all the yeah. all like the chaotics just win all their battles by Charmy doing something ridiculous. Yeah. But, but what I also love is that like this version of Charmy became the version of Charmy. It was so <laughs> strong. Not anywhere near as well executed, I believe. Oh, God. But uh, like <laughs> Because what you had is you had in the games he was supposed to be 16 years old. He was a prince in Archie too, but we I think we've said before that that's just one of those cases of parallel. Yeah, queen B. You get a queen B, you make him think it's like, yeah, you know, that's an yeah, obvious yeah. route to go, yeah, nothing special yeah. now. But then when him and the rest of the Chaotix were broadly like reimagined, basically just the character designs were taken and everything else was reworked for Sonic Heroes, Charmy became this. He became overbearing and obnoxious and like sings a lot and shrieks and just gets on everybody's nerves. I feel like the distinction is that modern game Charmy is a child, Yeah. where STC Charmy is a man-child. Oh, oh, I'm not thinking about that anymore. <laughs> okay. Oh, I don't want Charmy to be a man. Well, he's a man-child, you know. He's, he's a bee-child. Yeah, he's a bee. He's allowed to go off and live with strangers and be a superhero. You know, he has to... Yeah, but so's Tails. Tails isn't a man. Tails is a child. Tails <laughs> is a child. But he left home to seek his fortune to have his Pokemon adventure, you know, at the age of 10 or whatever. Yeah. Whereas Charmy... Char Charmy's innocence feels so affected that it it, it, <laughs> it wouldn't... It, it's not funny if he's just a child, if he's just six years old. Going, right. Doo, 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 doo. No, the obliviousness is only funny if he's old enough to actually, that he should be cognizant of what's going on around him and isn't. I hadn't thought of that before. No, neither have I. And that's a really... I always thought of him as just a child. I think that's a really ridiculous level of thought to have to put into the characterization <laughs> of tiddly dearie me. But I guess now that I've just said it out loud, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of the fact I spent a large portion of last episode talking about how Charmy is a little baby boy, but I guess that, yeah, that's my perception of Charmy. It's only funny because I perceive him to be old enough that he should be cognizant of what's going on around him, but he chooses not to be or is too stupid to be, versus being a child who is not yet old enough that that's what he should be doing. I desperately want a strip now where Charmy B says, I have a mortgage. Yes! I have to pay taxes. Oh, diddly dearie me. My diddly dividends. <laughs> diddly deductibles. Refuse Refuse It's Discworld. It's Discworld! Previously for the computer. Yes, computer game Discworld. But not for the Saturn. 
Uh, like every nerd, I'm currently pictured. Everybody can see my Discworld collection behind my head right now. There's all the books there. But I'm not very well read in Discworld. Uh, to be honest, probably a, a good a good chunk of my idea of what Discworld is comes from this game. Ah, uh, see, I've never played the game, but I've read a bunch of Discworld. I mean, I'm not very well read in it either, but I've read a bunch of it. It's exactly what you would expect if they made a Discworld game in 1994 or 5 or whenever they did. It's a point-and-click adventure. You're Rincewind, you've got the luggage following you around, and that is presumably your inventory. I can't remember. Makes sense. And you're doing silly things and none of the puzzles make any sense. <laughs> it's voiced by Eric Idle. Yeah. Yes. Yes. With uh, Tony Robinson's also in there, and who else did I read was in there? John Pertwee think... and uh, Rob Brydon. Yes, I think John Pertwee is death. Who's Rob Brydon? I well, listen. I looked up uh, a, a clip of the game on mm. YouTube, and based on the few minutes I exposed to me, fucking everyone else is Rob yeah, probably, Brydon. Yeah. <laughs> well, it probably is because Rob Brydon wouldn't have been famous back then. And well, that's, know, that's what surprised me when I looked at yeah. it. I was like Tony Robinson, John Pertwee, Eric Idle, and um, and, uh, and 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 Rob Brydon. Who was Rob Brydon back then? Yeah. Did Rob Brydon do Spitting Image? Is my question because it's exactly the sort of thing you would pull from to make this kind of game. I had no idea Rob Brydon was active at this point. Me neither. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember how amazing it was to discover video games could talk at you? Oh God. Oh, well, Shay, yeah, you don't actually, because you you never came up with games that didn't. I suppose I played Altered Beast. <laughs> <laughs> I I actually have a story about digitized speech that is directly related to this. This game has an Easter egg. I don't know if it's in the Saturn version, but it's certainly in the PC version. You need to click on somebody's eye in the crowd. Mm-hmm. And then you need to repeatedly click on a single pixel of a woman's breast. Oh mm-hmm. boy! That would be around about where the nipple is. And she's mm-hmm. a big like barbarian lady, and you need to keep clicking there. And Eric Idle, um, probably in reference to the speech, I think it was when Graham Chapman died as Rincewind, says, "I want to be the first person in a game to say." F-. <laughs> <laughs> this was not discovered until like 2010. <laughs> Love it. it was discovered in the sequel. They had a very similar Easter egg in the sequel. Huh? That was discovered years <laughs> before this game's F-word Easter egg was discovered. Uh. But the thing is, is that that honour yeah. of being the first character in a video game to say the F-word is in dispute oh. because there's another game from 1985 that may also have it. But there's also a game called Paranoia. It's from 1990, I believe. Okay. And I I don't know what the conditions are, but under certain conditions, an alien will appear, give you the finger, and say... Right. Like the the buzzing noise that is clearly supposed to be F you. Bit of the old zombie Dave. (laughs) You have to do a lot of inference to get that. I remember, uh, and this is going to sound random, but I promise there's a point to it. Turtles Tournament Fighter on the Mega Drive. I don't know what soundbite Krang said when he would launch missiles from his arms at you, but it sounded like he was going... When he would launch the missiles. <laughs> is that one of the ones in the new collection? We can get that and listen. Uh, it is, yes. I wonder if they've high-defed it up if we can really hear what he's saying. Yes, I can remember the thrill of games first talking to me. I think the one that springs to mind is when I was around Cousin John's house shortly before this, and they had a they had a Pink Panther point and click. But, you know, to tie in with that cartoon series where he says, Pink, Pink 
pink and talks and stuff. Matt Frewer, yeah. It was just amazing to me that you can have this CD running. Like, it had been done as gimmicks before, but there was a series of games on the Amiga! Called Valhalla. I had the demo of Valhalla before the war, where the gimmick was that you've got millions of floppies and you have to keep them in the drive all the time, and your character will go like, it can't be done. I can't take it. I can't do that. My arm hurts. Yes, I shall, that sort of thing. Look, Gunji. But it's not proper speech. I mean, single lines of speech, they were always there as far as I was concerned. But it was, uh, yeah. for me, it was Crash Bandicoot 2 on <laughs> the PlayStation. When, because uh, I didn't play Crash 1. Uh, it was the first game I got for the PlayStation. Where, you know, you, you, you go through a, an opening sequence... And it's just character going, run, <laughs> yes. And then you go to your mute protagonist. Crystals, of course. Crystals, yes. Stuff that's simple enough that it could just be single sound bites that wouldn't have been out of place in a 16-bit game. Yeah. But then you actually start the game, and one of the first things that happens is that Cortex, the villain, his big holographic head appears, and that's just Clancy Brown just full-on chatting in full sentences with proper acting at Crash. Uh. Well, well, well. If it isn't Crash Bandicoot, welcome. I apologize for the crude means used to bring you here, but I rather expect a written invitation would have been turned down. I need your help. And I'm like, what the yeah. games can what? The Crash games on the PlayStation are they are jaw dropping. Like the quality of the voices, and of course they had like Universal's backing for that, but the quality of the voices and the animations. For a PlayStation 1 game? If it isn't Crash Bandicoot. If we don't have any friends left on the surface, we'll have to find an enemy. Fantastic. Clancy Brown doesn't even do Cortex anymore now, do they? They replaced him. Don't bring him back no more. Must not mm -hmm. have the money for him. He's a real actor. They couldn't even afford Rob Brydon now. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Brydon's got better things to be doing. Well reviewed anyway, 85 overall says it's great for adventure game lovers, but the graves are that it's frustratingly slow and a problem for beginners. Yeah, I'd agree with that. If you don't know what you're getting into when you fire the game up, mm. I think I, I think the first proper point and clicker on the PC I put, because I didn't have a PC until yeah. whatever, 98 or thereabouts, Grim Fandango, which obviously, as we all know, mm. tremendous game, yes, one of the all-time great, you know, point and clicker adventures, but... I did give up on it for a long time until a magazine told me how to so get past I. that balloon down the yeah. tube puzzle. That's the thing about those games. They all had certain puzzles that you really had to be in the same mindset, i.e. read the mind of and know all the inside jokes of the people who made it. And like, Discworld was extremely tricky. Most infamous example is I recently played Monkey Island 2, LeChuck's Revenge. That's it. Yeah. Yes. The monkey wrench joking. Yep, yeah, you've got to be American to figure that out. Yeah, exactly. If you're from Britain, like a monkey wrench? Yeah. Like, and I, go, and now I know what a monkey wrench is. So if ever there is another obscure puzzle in an adventure game yeah. that requires me to understand regional dialects that I'm, regions I'm not from, yeah. I will be up on that. But uh, I wonder if I, how I would have handled that if I'd been confronted with it at the time, because I feel like I've always known the term monkey wrench, but obviously from cartoons. Uh, what I think they should have done is localise it in the UK and not a monkey, make it a mole. Because we know about mole wrenches. No? Maybe you do. Was that a joke you were making? or just a f No, it's a famous kind of wrench. No. That's just a famous wrench. I've got, in fact, I've got one in arms wrench. Get a here. load of Dave the Toolman Boomer. <laughs> 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 a mole wrench in the original 
1960s looking okay, packaging. Okay, hang on. I need you to, I need, like, listeners, I need you to understand we are on video here and <laughs> Dave has literally just pulled out a mole wrench that he had oh, within right. arm's reach. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I can't, why have I got a Dave, mole Dave, wrench? Dave, do not... the noise. <laughs> that wasn't bad, was it? So natural, just flows right off. I can't remember why I've got it. Maybe it was. Oh, it'll be when I built my desk from a PC. I oh, bought. That's it. Dave, I borrowed my dad's Dave, wrench. And Dave, it's please, still here. Dave, please, sir. When was that? That Chris McFeely was 2010. <laughs> and you just have it lying there. Do you not have a yeah. drawer? Ah, my drawers are full. Do you full. not have a drawer in the kitchen for stuff like that? They're all full of stuff you like this. I'm not even questioning the fact you haven't returned it in 12 years. It's, it's the fact that it was just <laughs> sitting That's there a fair more point. than yeah, anything yeah. else. Yeah, he's not mentioned wanting it back, but fair point. Yeah, virtual fighter kids, anyway. <laughs> First thing to note, these aren't kids. No, they're super deformed uh, things. But yeah. it is the name of the game, even in Japan. I went even to in Japan. go and check that because I was like, I looked at it and it's there. That child has a beard. That's not a kid. <laughs> no, exactly. Doesn't it? Yeah. It may, I, I think we had the same thought process. I was like, oh, is this going to be one of those things where like Western marketers aren't aware yeah. of chibi? And so they, so they have to come up with a way to explain it. SD or something. In yeah, Japan, yeah, yeah. But no, no evidence of that. It seems like it was called Kids in Japan. And I, I don't know why, because, like, in Japan, they would have definitely recognized that that's not what this is. It's SD. It's chibi. Mm. That's a thing they know about. But it do. seems that the aesthetics of the game do other... Aside from the actual characters themselves, the aesthetics of it do be, like, playgrounds and stuff. Oh, right. So so it's a weird halfway house. But they've got, like, the lady ones have got breasts, and the man ones have got beards and stuff. Yeah. What can I tell you? <laughs> I was interested in the way they described the play style here in this review, where it says that the big head factor of the characters affects their balance. So the combos must be put together with it in mind. Could not find, didn't look very hard, but couldn't (laughs) find any reference to that in any other write-up or or wiki article about the game I could find. Because it would be really interesting if you had like a chibi fighting game where one of the mechanics is that if you lean in any direction too much, you you topple over. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting, I think. That'd be really interesting. Virtua Fighter Kids really kicks. <laughs> Says Chris Jones, 45. Sounding like a really yeah. cool dude there. Yeah, well done. Yeah. I've never really been a, a big fighting game man myself. No. But I have to say, I am very enthusiastic about that and children. <laughs> <laughs> well, then this is the game for you. Packs a punch that's as big as the Hades. Reeves, those kicks are fast as lightning. Graves, I'm still looking. A 95 overall, well received by Mr. Chris Jones. Yeah, loves it. That's not just big time city, that is mega city. Shanghai Part 2, written by Nigel Kitchen and Richard Elson. Art by Richard Nelson and letters by Elena Fell. After a brief kerfuffle, it turns out Mr. Fry bears Captain Plunder no ill will. He and Proctor Speckle are actually two separate personalities, and Fry hates Speckle as much as Plunder does. 
Fry grills up a shark Arr. he's subdued to make a feast for the pirates, and it all seems well. Until three more sharks Arr. burst out of the ocean, mutated into monstrous muscle men by speckles spilled transformant serum. Arr. Arr. So, what a shame that we had this ending spoiled for us uh, by the next issue drawing previously. Yes! That's you know right, what I mean? they forgot about that, that the next issue page, last issue, showed us the muscle man sharks who don't show up till the last page of this issue. Well, it showed us one of them. We knew there was going to be one. But the thing is, that would have been absolutely fine if they had taken more of a part in the issue. But they hmm. are the cliffhanger for the next one. So, a bit yeah. of a disappointment there. I uh, I agree. I've just noticed, actually, I think I said there were three sharks in this summary, but there's actually four of them. So, there might even be more than that. See next issue. Oh? Uh, I did like the... I'll call it a twist. I like yeah. the twist that it turns out Fry and Speckle are different guys. Yeah. Because in their pre, you know, having previously appeared in the Sonic strips, that wasn't even suggested. Mm-hmm. Uh, aside from their slightly different mannerisms, yeah. you know. Um, so after the end of last issue, like Fry bursts out of the water and the pirates immediately pile on him and he just flings them all aside and they see that he's beating up a shark. <laughs> And Simpson goes, he must really hate that shark. He's kind of beating up a shark to himself, isn't he? Yes. I'm not clear if, if he if he did anything to the pirates at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's genuinely not clear from the artwork or the narrative if he's done anything, or if he is so just simply preoccupied with beating up this shark that the pirates have been flung away by the swinging of, of his arms and he's not off even it, taking yeah. notice of them, yeah. He must really hate that shark. Tommy Rot, you stupid cat! Sharks from these waters is notoriously tough eating! I was just tenderizing a blighter! So yeah, he's just been pummeling the shark up to get ready to eat it. Mm. I thought he was ge- I genuinely thought he was actually about to pop it in his mouth and just, you know, do the whole yeah. cartoon fishbone thing right there and then. <laughs> But he, he takes it down to the galley and chops it up into into shark steaks and everybody gets to have some. And yes, once yeah. What I thought it was gonna be was that Plunder would like establish that he's an, an equal big growly guy to him and then they would be friends. It doesn't seem to be that. He seems to just now I'm fine with you guys. I'm I'm just yeah, whatever, I'm just doing this. Hi everyone. Let's have some of this shark. And he just hands it out. I love that he defers to Plunder's authority as well. Yeah. Show us <laughs> yeah. to the show us to the uh, the galley. And uh, it feels like, based on what he says later in the strip, that he defers because, well, Plunder apologizes for making him walk the plank. Because if I'd known he was a cook. Because uh, basically, Plunder is just motivated by his f- emotions surrounding food in this story. Like having Proctor yes. walk the plank for eating all the chocolate last episode. And Fry says, Don't give it another thought, Captain. It was Speckle who walked the plank, and I don't blame you for wanting that little runt dead. Who's leg? Who's leg? Yeah, so it, it feels like once he helps back up and he's done tenderizing the shark, it's like, oh, that Captain Plunder, he's he's all right. He hold, he's got no beef with him. So he, he's like, yeah, where's your, where's your kitchen? There seems to be camaraderie based on the fact that they both hate Proctor Speckle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, first speech balloon of page two rules. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, because the, the pirates are piling on Mr. Fry and Captain Plunder goes, You two filch, you cowardly sea slug. Captain, it's like I keep telling you, I'm a ghost. You killed me yourself. And then Simpson takes that as a cue to just put his leg through the hole in uh, Filch's head. <laughs> These voices are incredible, by the way. The pairing is 
They are pitch perfect. <laughs> oh, his filch is very good, yeah. Pack a ten, Simpson, as he sits there with the leg. <laughs> I thought, as I, well, these voices are well established on this podcast now, but I always saw filches. I don't know why. It was my own fault for taking the extra biscuit. That was always his iconic line <laughs> to me, you know? And that just sounded right <laughs> in that accent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, it's perfect. This, for me, is like one of my favourite comic things, full stop. Just shanghai And this whole story yeah. is just such a lovely little bit of silliness. <laughs> and I love Captain Plunder in general because one of the things that really confuses people about STC is that like the character design, for the most part, the original characters, are not Sonic characters. They're like UK comics characters. Mm-hmm. And Plunder is the piratiest pirates to ever have existed. (laughs) Him and Filch and Simpson are such an amazing comedy trio for me. Like, I love that Filch keeps deciding whether or not he is able to interact with things (laughs) based on how lazy he's feeling at the time. And Plunder buys it. See, now you're thinking back to the same thing I'm thinking to, where in the same issue... We got yeah. a story where Filch said, no, I can't lift bags, I'm a ghost. <laughs> yeah. In the Sonic strip, and then in the Captain Plunder strip, he was able to go and walk through the wall of a vault and turn the lock. I've never been 100% sure if that was a de- a goof, a deliberate thing like you're saying, where he's like, oh, he's faking it, he's, yeah. he's just lazy. Or if the idea was like, he can't actually carry things, but he could poltergeist-style manipulate things. My impression of it was always that Filch is just lying, basically. <laughs> like, he's just lying to suit himself. That's the funniest way to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> so far, it's borne out by the text, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you on well, this. Because I thought, here in this strip now, when he was like, I'm a ghost, you killed me yourself, I thought Usually when they do that, it's for a reason to set up, just to remind the audience that Filch is a ghost, because that's going to be important later. He's going to have to walk Mm -hmm. through something. And Mm -hmm. if you haven't established in text that he's a ghost, and somebody's reading this strip for the first time, just sees a blue lizard man, there's, you don't necessarily know he is a ghost. You've got to set it up in text for some reason. No, unless maybe the third part will have some kind of ghostly shenanigans (laughs) that will require the setup. We'll see. I don't know. I don't remember. Elson's designs here are at their lumpiest, and they're (laughs) they're most appealing to, like, to me, around about the 80 to kind of, like, 120 mark Mm -hmm. is when Elson's art is absolutely, like, firing on all cylinders for me this is like the best the comic looks but also you've just got like the classic elson pose of a character one arm stretched there one arm stretched out behind and an old face like not an old face wrong (laughs) words to use like you know their mouth is just a circle that is the vintage elson pose pitch perfect example in panel one great dynamics and everything in the cartooning like uh, page three panel one where Mr. Fry is holding up the shark and pointing to it, I can imagine, and I'm not saying this to be disparaging, I think I would do it as well. If I were sketching that panel out, I think it would be a lot more flat. I think it would be a lot less interesting to look at. But the low angle, like, looking up at his, like, multiple chins and his big, thick, like, his lips that look like they have just been bruised so much and (laughs) so often that they're just permanently swollen. Wonderful stuff. Absolutely love Captain Plunder and this is this for me is the the best of a great bunch. I keep forgetting sort of when I look at it how silly it actually is like what a silly thing the story <laughs> is like how silly the yeah. subject matter is 
because it's Elson drawing it? Yes. If it was Kitching drawing it, I'd be like, oh yeah, Shark Man, and he's cooked the shark up, and and yeah, <laughs> stupid nonsense. But Elson's here giving it both barrels. Yeah, this is Nigel in decap mode, and because of Richard Elson being here. It, but it doesn't in any way create any kind of dissonance. No. It doesn't elevate the material, but it doesn't drag the material down either. It's just a different way of doing it. Like, you look at Plunder's face, and from experience, let me tell you, that is a difficult face to emote with. <laughs> yeah. It is so complex. And uh, listeners, you can't see, but Shamey's got a big bloated face that he's having to emote with. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. <laughs> Sorry, you said you said you know from personal experience, so I have to give the context. <laughs> I meant from drawing it, but also you're not wrong. The expressions and the, the poses and everything are so stretched brilliantly. Just he is so expressive, and it's not even when he wants to be. It's just. He can just do it like that. Just he's such a fantastic artist. I love the expression work that's done with Filch at the very end. When the muscle man shark come out the water, Filch does the wildest take ever seen <laughs> in Sonic the Comic outside of Decap Attack. Like yeah. proper eyes, eyes bugging out of the, the head. head. Simpsons already got his wee like floaty. Yeah, he's got his rubber ring on to bail out. <laughs> <laughs> but it was written by Kitching and Elson. Now I know that both of them collaborated on their stories a lot. You know, that there was a lot of um, phone conversations, if I remember correctly. But it was, I, I like, the fact that this is the first time that Richard Elson has been credited as a scriptwriter as well. Mm. I'm wondering, just idle fandom trivia reasons, really. I'm just wondering what the process there was, like, if it was a Marvel method or if it was, uh, he was just mm. more involved with the script writing itself. When we were recording this episode, we could only speculate about how the writing on this one worked, which we're about to start doing. But we've since found out, thanks to research boomer DeGamma for finding an interview by Adamis for STC Online, that Richard Elson wrote most of this strip, and Nigel did a final pass on it to punch up the jokes, etc. Was this a Street Sharks pool? It, it's mm. not. Is it late enough for Street Sharks? 1994, I looked it up earlier. Oh, well, maybe then. They do look pretty jawsome. <laughs> Didn't we have, there was one where it was Nigel Kitching and Nigel Dobbin wrote one, one of together. One stories, yeah. I don't yeah, and we were one. quite satisfied by that. And it was the idea, just this idea of like, yeah, two comic friends get together and presumably over a pint hash out an idea for a story and you get something fun. This is what makes Sonic the Comic so special. Mm -hmm. it, it really felt like all of the staff were collaborating with more passion than, than just, all right, okay, we need to... We need to do our job here. You know, it, it felt yeah, it felt very collaborative. It, there was a real sense of community to this comic yeah. right the way through, from arse to breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Next issue, Shark Bait. Of course, as Dave says, it is a shame that the cliffhanger was spoiled by the next issue page last time. But, hey, look, Shark Man. How terribly silly. <laughs> Just a madbird! Just a it's another ad for Kellogg's Strike. Um, we, there mm. was one last issue, but this is a different one. If you're mad about football, we've just made your breakfast. And uh, the picture is an x-ray of a person's head, and instead of a brain, they've got a football. I'm not mad about football. I'm just football disappointed. I'm football crazy. I'm chocolate mad. No, but no, okay. No. Leave it, doesn't it? No. Was that a football joke? No. No, it's... it's. There was an old sweet you used to get. I think it was in the early <laughs> 2000s. And it was like a hollow chocolate football. And you would get a power pod inside. 
which was a little bobblehead of a famous footballer. Oh, and the advert used to go, football yeah. crazy, chocolate, chocolate man. That, that does ring a bell, yeah. Grandma Pillar, Paul, that play football, way that lad. <laughs> I was, of course, immediately ready to breeze past this advert because it's just yeah. strike again. Uh, new Kellogg Strike, a seriously crunchy multigrain cereal packed full of football, football quizzes, football giveaways, football coaching cards, and football competitions. It's for people whose heads are crammed full of useless football trivia and just want more. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And then, <laughs> teletext on ITV, page 383. <laughs> is that our first mention of teletext in I STC? I think it is. I, don't, I can't remember a single ad previously that advised you to go and read more about this product or thing Ooh. on teletext anywhere. No, and contextually, that would be the exact same thing as being like, go to kelloggs.com forward slash strike. Or or just hashtag mm. Kellogg strike yeah. nowadays. But yeah, that's contextually, it's exactly what it would be. I didn't even think of it like that, yeah. Do we need to tell them what teletext was? <laughs> How would you describe teletext? It was like the internet on your television before yeah. there was the internet and it didn't require phones. Well, it was well, it was like the internet, but not in the sense that you could affect it in any way. It was a... You had a button on your remote that said teletext and up came... You had button on remote. And up came pages of text... And you, you know, referred to the index page on page 100 or whatever it was, the opening page, and you went to a page. So here it would be 383, so you would just type 383, having gone to teletext, on your normal buttons that you change channel with. And it was different on each channel. You had teletext was on ITV yeah. and Channel 4, and uh, CFAX was what they called it on BBC One and BBC Two. And, we, and Oracle was one. What was that? Was that before teletext? That might have been off in your strange foreign Britland. <laughs> it might have been. I think it might have been what was on before teletext took over the Channel 4 license or something like that. So your interface was that you could type three-digit numbers, mm -hmm. and it would take you to a page. Within that, now you can game the system in various ways. Oh, you also had a reveal button. So The reveal button, of course. Be very important. Look, because the only mm. reason, really, mm -hmm. that we were going on Teletext was for Digitizer, yeah. the video game magazine, which updated daily on Channel 4. Yeah, and he, uh, Mr. Biffo, Paul Rose, who wrote that, used to used to take full advantage of what was available, so he would do lots of press reveal jokes. I think what press reveal was really for was for if you're doing quizzes. Yes. And you can press reveal to see the answer of the quiz. Um, and then they then they invented a fast text thing where you had three coloured buttons on yes. your remote and, and you could press... To play bamboozle. To play bamboozle. Was the regular Daily Channel 4 quiz where you selected a multiple choice answer from one of the four colours. The other only thing Teletext was for. However, I must say, my probably out of my whole life, other than Digitizer, my favourite teletext thing was the Christmas advent calendar. And oh, yeah. that, that was different sometimes, but the one that I remember, you had a sort of... Oh, very, very like low-res BBC micro-looking graphics. Oh, yes. It, yes, it must be stressed. This looked rubbish. <laughs> but you had a border around the page, and you would press reveal every day. And so let's say on page one, you press reveal, and there's a festive-looking lamppost. Well, on day two... The lamppost's still there, and now oh. you press reveal, and now there's a little reindeer near the lamppost, and this went on until you had a whole page full of stuff. Oh, that's nice. Brilliant idea. I like it that. Was nice. I don't remember ever doing that one. Yeah. I remember Turner the Worm. Yes, and Glug the Slug. That was Mr. Biffo, Paul Rose's daily comic strip. Yeah, a comic strip done on teletext. Four panels, and you had to wait for the panels yeah. to cycle through. Because in the background... You tap onto the next page, yeah. No, in teletext, in the background, it's always, like, cycling round. Say you went to page 383. Yeah. Then there would be, like, 
five screens worth of text on page 383 yes. and it would cycle through them one after the other and when you went to page 383 you couldn't guarantee you were going to arrive no. on page one you had to no. wait for page one to cycle back around they were cycling around in real time you just hmm. had to hope you got there so yeah so if you were on if you it landed was rubbish, on page really it was rubbish. <laughs> was if no you landed on page anything. two of turn of the worm you had to sit there Deliberately not reading. Not looking at the screen two, and waiting just sort of out the corner of your screen <laughs> till you could see the title screen come up yeah. so you knew it was safe to look. And then you look around, you've missed it again, it's panel two again, I've got to look away again. And then mum would come in and be like, right, I have a question for you. I'm like, no, mum, I'm going to Mom! Mom! Page! <laughs> wait for it to go round again. They had to invent the internet. This wasn't good enough. It was the only way forward. And to think that I thought my PowerPods pool was too tangential. <laughs> this, right. Nothing tangential from this show. This was neat. Neither tangential nor obscure. We all did this. We all knew what teletext was. <laughs> I mean, the primary function of teletext was you turn teletext on and you go eight, 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 and that gave you the subtitles for the TV shows that were yeah. on live at the subtitles time. Subtitles right? for normal TV, yes. Mm. Text eight, eight, eight. That's why all the old programs say text eight, eight, eight. The start. That means subtitles. That's probably enough about teletext, though. Probably. That's probably enough. I <laughs> detected an acceptable level of humour in this advert. You know. Yes, I, I thought so. I detected an exceptional no, level of humor. No, what I mean is, I <laughs> wasn't doing a football thing. I wasn't being an alien detecting jokes. What I mean is, for a football-based advert, <laughs> <laughs> this must be one of those Earth jokes I've heard so much about. <laughs> We've already established that it's this X-ray of a guy's skull and all that's in there with his football, and then he's like, "Hey, if your brain is full of useless football trivia, and what you want is more of that." Then I guess you can come to our cereal. <laughs> I, I do like that. It's for people whose heads are crammed full of useless football trivia. I like, you know, that's that's bridging the gap. Exactly. Because you've got people whose heads are filled with useless football trivia. You've got me whose head is filled with useless Sonic trivia. Exactly. It's, you know, we are the same. We are not the same. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nothing like you. <laughs> I'll never join you. <laughs> Pin up. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a it's a sh bad nick pinup. It's a grabber. I have to I have to step in here. I have to like white knight for a minute here. This this was You never like these. Like the listen, I'm not gonna oversell it. I'm not gonna sit here and go, oh, these are actually an integral part of the map. Listen, when I, when I'm reading this casually, I, I skip these pages. Yeah. The same way I, I like I don't even register the football page. I don't I barely register the control mm. zone. I don't look mm. at the charts. Mm -hmm. Like I I, I was gobsmacked the very first episode of this podcast when Dave actually read out the charts. I was like, is he actually going to read all of them out? <laughs> so is Chris. But, yes, um, I remember yes, it at the time. Yeah. But now, uh, not looking back, it's like, well, of course. Because there's a, you know, there's an alternate universe where two young Americans are doing a podcast about mm -hmm. Sonic the comic and they're just reading the Sonic strips. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it's a much worse world to live in. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> it, like, it, it was absolutely... History has vindicated you both. But, um, <laughs> Finally! This was illustrated by Ferran Rodriguez, yep. who is, and I say this without reservation, the loveliest man in existence. Is he? He is so nice. Like, every time I put up a bit of art on Facebook or whatever, yeah. he is liking it, he is in the comments, or, like saying what I've done well, offering me little tidbits of advice and everything to improve. And then you meet him and he's like, oh, hope I can get back soon and we can all meet up again. Just an absolutely A-plus, just class act of a man. Oh, that's great. That doesn't in any way make me feel bad for calling his pin-up 
Because <laughs> they're dreadful little things. They're just a static three-quarters view. Well, it's not Ferran's fault, is it? Like, Listen, Okay, he's been given a remit to do a pin-up of a grabber. Of you, one little robot to fill a double-page You spread. think they specifically said, what we want is a three-quarters view of a grabber. Pe- this is the grabber, the spider badniks from the chemical plant zone in yeah. Sonic 2 that drop down and grab you. Yeah, yeah. They really, you think they were like, what we want is a three quarters view of one of them and absolutely nothing else. <laughs> you think he couldn't have pushed against the boundaries of his remit for a grabber badnik a bit to deliver something worth looking at? Well, something about the way that they are makes me think, did they even newly commission him to do these? Or did they at some point earlier? They do have the look of something pulled out stock art wise, don't they? When they were doing the badnik cards, for example, did they just say, Farron, will you draw us every badnik? And then we'll figure out what to do with it later. Maybe that this is what they're doing. You know? I, I mean, like the thing is, is that as an end result, like I say, I'm not going to defend this to the death of it because <laughs> as an end result, it, it's it's a picture of a grammar badnik on a lime slash pea soup green background, yeah. which is, isn't the most appealing thing in the world. You know, I'm no clamoring to put that up on the wall, especially as it would ruin my good condition STC copy. <laughs> but uh, I just thought I would say that Ferran Rodriguez is a lovely man. I'm so glad to hear that. That's that is nice to know because I don't know Ferrin, and I think you're the first person I've met who's met him or knows him at all. Well, all the best to Ferrin then. And I hope that he got paid for each and every one of these. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed again this issue. I think it happened last time too that they've they're finally getting into the swing of putting ads on the back of mm. the pinup on both yes. sides, so you're not ripping out. If if you were the sort of sick freak who wanted to tear the pinup out of the comic, you wouldn't yes. be pulling a a page of comic out of it finally in addition to the uh, football serial one it's just the um, subscription coupon on the yeah. back of the other side I love that they've put the subscription coupon on the back of the pinup <laughs> wait a minute actually with Dr. Robotnik like tearing out pages you're supposed to cut that out yeah. and going don't let this happen to your copy of STC you literally have designed the magazine so that it will happen to the, our copy of STC <laughs> Of course, I've just now realised it is the subscription coupon that you are supposed to cut You're off. You're supposed so to cut it out. You Wait, two ways yes. to deface. Yes. This doesn't work on, yeah. on any level. <laughs> You're defacing the comic one way or no way. You can't have both. <laughs> but we've seen that ad before, oh. so there's not much to talk about there. But before yeah. we go into Decapitac, we should talk about the one other major ad in the issue, which we didn't want to do up at the top of the show because it's going to take a little time to talk about. It's the one on the back cover. Just a You're our greatest hits. It is, I was surprised to see, Very the results surprised. of the Skittles competition. Do you remember this, listeners? When we were talking about Skittles dressed up as gangsters and shooting children dead right in front of us, there was a competition. Back in issue, what, 86? Not long ago at all, like... Very appropriate for what the gangster Skittles are doing to the children. 86, that that means kill, like gangster code. No. What is it with UK advertising and strawberries... Like anthropomorphic fruit <laughs> who are perpetrating acts of violence and torture. Like early 2000s, there was these unaccountably horny fruit <laughs> winder adverts where there would be this like strawberry with her midriff, like, you know, in a crop top and like uh. layered bell bottom trousers. And she would be like cooing and smirking and giggling while she 
maimed and massacred and just kind of like oh that yeah that's these starting to ring a bell into, yeah yeah I, I, this has given me the same vibes and i i'm very uncomfortable so you think there's a marketing executive somewhere out there who's horny for strawberries and <laughs> wants them to hurt him <laughs> well it's all about fruit juice isn't it it's all about yeah. being made with real fruit juice. So you gotta you gotta brutalize the fruit to get the juice mm. out of it. That incidentally, yeah. Dave, I realized belatedly upon reading this ad and noticing the juice splats is uh-huh. why there is no banana skittle. Oh. Because you can't there's no banana juice. You can't make a juicy sweet with a banana. That's why there's no banana skittle, you dipshit. <laughs> I want a banana skittle now. Yeah, I want a banana skittle. Yeah, but I don't require real fruit juice in my Skittles. I don't know if I'm weird. That's the conceit of the sweet. <laughs> Is it? The conceit of the sweet. <laughs> conceit, if you will. That's the whole premise of the sweet. I I didn't know that about Skittles. I didn't know that they were meant to be authentically juicy. That was the whole point. It was the fruity, juicy hit, as it says at the bottom. You, this is This is what I've realized in the long months since discussing the concept of zinginess in sweets as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It refers to the real fruit juice, to the citrusy right. tang oh, of real right. fruit juice. Right. That's what zingy meant right. in those content. I finally found the words for it. <laughs> That's what the deal was. And uh, and that sure, that was the whole... They ran around shooting kids with fruit and leaving them plastered in juice. That was the whole thing yeah. of, the, of this Skittles mob-themed assassination advert. But do you remember when we talked about it, listeners, that there was a competition to send in a four-panel, like, not comic, just four pictures depicting what happens to you and your friends when you eat Skittles? And we were like, I, I think I said, oh, there'll be loads where the kid eats Skittles and then their head explodes mm. in that colour or whatever. And funnily enough, not only do we have, like, a result of that, not only do we have named winners, but, yeah, they're showing the four panels that they've all submitted. They promised the results would be published in this comic. I doubted it at the time, but I've been proven wrong. Here they all are. All six winners. The only trouble is that they've taken a very cavalier attitude to, like, what order the four pictures should be printed in. They're always numbered, one, two, three, and four, but they're scattered to the four winds. They're They're shown in any order at all. Yeah. The first one very much begins with panel four. (laughs) And it's big and it's blown up and it has a little four on it. And that's the only way you can tell what's supposed to be happening. The winners are Sao Quan Chan, 14, from Troon, whose Mm -hmm. uh, story is about how when he eats a Skittle, he becomes a superhero. Like a big, colourful, fruit-themed superhero. Yep. Uh, Rebecca Hutchings, 9, from Aylesford, who... Uh, I mean, it's it's gross. I gotta tell you, it's just nasty. Yeah, it's very, very anatomically studied, isn't it? She's nine. It's impressive. She's done well by it, but I was referring to the dialogue choice. Um, oh, I didn't even look at that. Well, the first panel is the only clearly readable one. I was gonna say. She eats the Skittles, and the sentence she's captioned mm. the panel with is, The tangy fruit tastes of Skittles slither down my throat. <laughs> <laughs> And then the se- yeah, because the second picture is an X-ray of her own stomach, referenced from uh, obviously her biology textbook. Or yeah, something. medical textbooks. It's got the liver in the right place next to it and everything. Yeah. I'm sorry, Rebecca, but the anatomical veracity of this is built on sand. <laughs> <laughs> but the tastes and experience of this pack of Skittles has left me hypnotized, and she's left oh, with you know, big googly Skittle eyes. She's got Skittles, Skittles whirling around. Dave, can you decipher the next one for me? Because I've had some real trouble with it. 
Okay, so uh, Brooke and Madison Giddings, eight and four from Rumford. The comment that the advert-making people have left on this is, every time these two eat Skittles, they just have to have a fruity party. So this is a photo montage. The first is these two sisters, presumably, holding their packs of Skittles with their sunglasses on. Uh, very, very well photographed, thanks, parent, because they've made sure there's loads of gleam coming off the sunglasses yeah, to the make, flash them, was on. make them the coolest dudettes possible. Panel two, um... So now they haven't got their sunglasses on, and that seems to be pretty much that. There's something on their heads. I don't know if they're like headbands or the sunglasses pushed up or what they are. And then panel three, they're like lifting up something over their heads. And, and panel four, they're waving them around. I think those are pom-poms. Yeah. I th- it's just that the four pictures don't tell a story. They don't tell a story. I don't, understa- are- I don't understand how they've won, Dave. No, I don't that, understand no. it. It doesn't tell the story. It's just four pictures of them mucking about with Skittles. Outrageous. I demand a recount. The only explanation is that not many people entered this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was a lot of freaking work. Apparently not, according to the Giddingses. Yeah, it's just four pictures of them holding Skittles while doing other stuff. Well, okay, people people would have perceived it as being a lot of work then, and so did not enter. So, sorry to the Giddingses. If you're out there now, do get in touch, but we don't understand why you did this. (laughs) (laughs) Laura Tisdall, 10, from Bradford-on-Avon. She's got her head in the game a bit more. Yeah. It's still tricky to figure out exactly what she's doing, but you can tell she means it. Yeah, and it's uh, the first photo is her biting an apple. I think it's an apple. It's a piece of real fruit, anyway. Yeah. And the second picture is her going, Ugh. The third picture is her wolfing down a bag of Skittles. And the fourth picture is her going, Mental off Skittles. And she's sort of pouring them in front of the camera so you can see yeah. them falling down. Wasting the Skittles. Terrible stuff. <laughs> When you're 10, you can pick them up off the ground. We have one here from Lindsay Calver, 10 years old, from Faversham, who says that that real juice taste makes Lindsay turn all fruity. Oh. There she is. She is lying, reclined on her side, like as if she was reclined on a chaise long. Yes. Drawings, again, these are not photos this time. Yes. Oh, yeah, like actual effort's gone into this. I, mm. Lindsay Calver, I respect you. Mm-hmm. Lying on her side, eating the Skittles, and then... Oh, oh, this is cute, though, because, mm. like, and she's eating the Skittles and her outfit has transformed. Like, it seems to be like a leotard that looks like a strawberry. I don't think it's just her outfit. I think she's physically turned into fruit. I think because... they've printed the pictures in the wrong order. Do you think? Yeah, oh, God, yeah, three and two. I think the second picture is supposed to be this tornado spin, which they've oh, labelled yeah. as number three. In fact, yes, in, in the tornado spin, it's all of her clothes are depicted flying off. Flying off, yes. Her shoes go into the sun. And then the picture that they've labelled as two, which should be three, is she's now a person made of fruit. Yeah, she's got banana hair, banana legs. Her shoes are oranges. It's, you know, this yeah. is quite cute. And then she goes to snog a bobby. To snog a bobby, yeah, that's... <laughs> That's an odd punchline for this comic. I don't get that. No, that's the the final panel is just her going and clutching a copper. Um, Looks like her eyes and mouth are black currants. Yeah. And of course, by the way, because Lindsay Calver is quite a cool dude, she's naturally drawn the sun watching all this with sunglasses on. Because that's what you do. Maybe she is going to the... uh, Sorry, Bobby, meaning police officer, for our non-British listeners. Uh, Yes, yes. Perhaps she has gone to report... Skittles to the advertising agency for like <laughs> lack of disclosure about this what can only be described as Kafka-esque transformation. Yeah. <laughs> She's gonna be at school now and her pals are gonna be like surreptitiously picking bits of her hair. Yeah. Because they forgot the lunch month. Slicing her hair up and putting it on their cornflakes. The feet are the weirdest bit, because the feet are two oranges each. <laughs> and and they're just like these oranges are just 
just in a line. <laughs> like they're just there's nothing connecting them together. They're just two oranges. <laughs> and then the last one is from Paul Glass. Um, all of sixteen. Mm, the oldest of the uh, competitors. Yeah, from Blackpool. And uh, he's drawn in that cartoony style we've described before. That, yes, uh, the that way all kids drew. drew, yeah. yeah. Panel one, it's a boy, presumably Paul Glass. And in fact, we can find out. It's very, very hard to read because it's so small. He's saying, my name is... And then it must say Paul Glass. It's difficult to see, but it, yeah. it could be Paul Glass. My name is something. Oh, is it? My name yeah, is something. Yeah. I've just been to the shops for a bag of Skittles. And there, there's the boy yeah, eating yeah. from the bag of Skittles. Next panel, he's eating some Skittles and something's going bang. A door is banging. The door is being kicked open. Being kicked, oh, you're right. A door is being kicked open. I'm not going to try and read that. It's too small. I open the bag. Something out. I open and take one out. Suddenly, Ollie Orange bursts or barges in. Yes. We're getting there. And panel three is Ollie lobbing a bomb. An orange bomb. And he throws an orange... Grenade? Something at me. me. Uh, presumably a bomb, a grenade. It should have been a cherry bomb, Paul. Come on. Well, oh. all the orange isn't going to go throw... It's not going to go throw cherry flavor things. You don't get cherry in Skittles. Mm. Even though you should, because even though game. if you did, that would be nice. Stop it, stop it, it stop it. No, no, no. We're not doing this again. <laughs> And anyway, the punchline is that he's just exploded orange on him, just like in the adverts. And he's down on the floor with a spinny head, exactly like... what. Right, what Paul Glass has done here is he has taken the challenge literally. He thinks, like, what happens to you... And what he thinks they want to hear is, the exact thing that happens in the advert happens to me. And he's drawn it right down to the smallest degree. Like, the orange character is drawn exactly as he is on this page, and in the advert, presumably. And, uh, yeah, he's he's just done what happens. Yeah, is it? Um... Does does indicate, doesn't it, that the ad was on television this year? We were thinking at the time mm. when the ad ran that it was in advance of the ad. I mm. think we were just going off the incorrect date on uh, the YouTube video. Yeah, that must be it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that. What happens to you when you eat Skittles? Are you asking us directly? Yes. Um, I haven't eaten Skittles in forever, mate. I can tell you something that happened to me when I ate Skittles quite a long time ago, which is that I decided, and this is arbitrary and must be false, that That there should be a banana one. (laughs) A, there should be a banana one. B, there should be a cherry one. C, there should be a grape one. I'm I'm gonna hit you. No, I decided that green Skittles were the thing you can eat that most in the world neutralizes the taste of toothpaste that's about to ruin everything else you eat for the rest of the morning. Hmm. And I must have just, that must have just been a total coincidence. I must have eaten more than one green Skittle on my way into school and gone, oh, now I can have this sausage roll without going, Ugh. That's the power of citrus. See, what happens to me when I have bad Skittles yeah. is uh, acid reflux. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it would happen to me. I haven't had Skittles in ages. I, I, I have had some of those fluffy cloud ones they do now, which are just, what? you know, squishy, what? chewy sweets, not not what? little hard-shelled candy ones. So they don't do banana, they don't do cherry, they do do cloud. <laughs> yeah, delicious cloud. <laughs> they do them in sour flavours, so I enjoy a bit of sour. Oh, so I usually what so. happens to me when I eat a bag of those is the skin comes off the surface of my tongue for the rest of the day, you know? Yeah. That's the point I knew I was getting old when I went to the shops to buy a bag of Skittles. 
And all I thought about was, because I used to love Sour Skittles, I practically lived on them on my first year of uni. Mm. And uh, I went in, and I got Sour Skittles, and then I thought, yeah, this is going to really like kind of make my mouth feel kind of sore for a while, and I'm going to get acid reflux. Yeah. I think I'll have this nice, sensible oat cake instead. <laughs> oh no oh wow that was a you pole vaulted from one extreme to the other worst of it is uh, it turns out i might be gluten intolerant so oh, that was God. a bad decision at some point you're just gonna have to be like oh well then i'll just eat what i want then because everything is gonna make me ill is it oat cake and an emodium <laughs> or is it skittles and some tums <laughs> yeah no that that it's a comparatively recent thing in my life but yeah I, i've always loved sour sweets but yeah, yeah the decision I had to make in living memory, you know, the last couple of years where I was like, if I have these, the inside of my mouth's just going to be all cut up and raw for a day afterwards. What are you talking about? Skittles cut your mouth up, what? <laughs> not skits, not the sour skittles aren't too bad, they're quite mild actually, you know, but, but you know, sour sweets, you know, when you have a thing of, well, who am I talking to here? You're a man who makes a bag of sweets last a month, you know? God help me, Davies, right? He's, he's absolutely right. I don't understand this. Well, that's because you and I, Shimei, I would assume when we get a bag of sweets, we just eat the bag of sweets. Oh, Whereas Dave will make a bag of sweets last That's month. my bag of sweets now. I have to protect it and nurture it, yeah. Yeah. When so, I go, sometimes I get a wee bag, a wee, like just a single tube of Werther's Originals, and I think, these will last me a while. Like, mm. you know, these last my granny oh. ages. Mm-hmm. They don't even last me till I'm home. <laughs> I'm sitting there in the car, like, just driving one hand and doing this or the other. Sweets are for eating. I've still got... I bought a pack of Werther's Originals sometime in the summer, and I've still got some left. That's that's <laughs> insane behaviour. Do you even like them? Yeah, but... Yeah, but... Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> I don't buy sweets I don't like. Mm, yeah, yeah. Maybe I should. Maybe I should get on that trip. Yeah, that's that, what yeah. I, I should start buying sweets I'm indifferent about. <laughs> I can make them last a couple of months. It's like, you, how much money would you save doing that? I yeah. haven't bought any sweets since then. Why not? Like, so you, you go into Tesco and you pass the sweetie aisle and you go, oh, I've got some in the house. Yes. I'll not buy sweets. <laughs> yes. It's no way to live. <laughs> And okay, yes, a, a certain percentage of the time spent living that way is spent with the inside of your mouth all raw and cut <laughs> Yeah, up. no, that sounds but... like a that sounds like a small price to pay, though. To be fair, it's a small Ooh. price to pay from enjoying sweets. I do what I do, now. What I do remember is that during my thing of keeping a sweet in my mouth as long as possible, there's only really three zones you can do that. There's between tongue and roof of mouth, and there's at the sides, outside your teeth. Yeah. Right. If I keep a sweet outside, in between teeth and cheek. Very often, my cheek will go all weird. The, you'll get a fluffy cheek at the end of that. So I guess yeah. that's the yeah. uh, similar to what you're talking about there. Well, the sour sweets, if you just eat a bunch of them mm. in a row, mm. whatever it is, the acid in them just, just you know, mm-hmm. burns your tongue away or whatever. Hmm. I don't know the exact way of describing it, but we all know what I'm talking about. The listeners know. I don't. How sour it's are like we? It's like when you eat a pineapple. How Because the pineapple has enzymes that also like start to dissolve the inside of your uh, mouth as you're eating it. Uh, Dave, the extent of the sour is irrelevant. Uh, it is the content. You would simply never have had it happen to you because you wouldn't have eaten a whole pack of anything at once. The reason why... And I'm not even be- I'm not even being funny or getting yeah. on you about it anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you just wouldn't have eaten a whole pack of anything at once, so you'd never have felt it. The reason why I ask is that I did go through a phase recently of getting through a pack of Tangfastics quite quick. But they're not very sour, are they? Define quick for me, please. 
Yeah, all right. Over the course of a couple of days. Over the course of a <laughs> Maybe couple three of or nothing, four days. It's nothing, man. <laughs> I get through a packet of fastics before the film I'm sitting down to eat mm-hmm. them with is over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I've not done that. I could. If it was a film, if I had a pack of Tang Fast. Oh, no, I'm not suggesting you do it. It's not good. (laughs) (laughs) I could. You're living the better way. I I bet I could. I'm hard enough. I could eat a pack of Tang Fast in a day. (laughs) 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 Let's get that live stream challenge going. (laughs) Dave Boomer eats a whole pack of Tang Uh, Fast nonstop while an audience watches. You'll be crying by the end of it. I only do that on my OnlyFans. <laughs> the Legend of Mr. Cuddlebunny Part 2. Written by Nigel Kitching and Richard Rayner. Art by Nigel Kitching. Letters by Ellie DeVille. Chaos abounds! <laughs> Chaos reigns. As the decappers struggle with Mick C. McTosis over Mr. Cuddlebunny's hat. Until, eventually, it winds up back on the head of its rightful owner. But the trouble's not over, as it turns out, McTosis is the hired muscle of Mr. Cuddlebunny's old business partner, Mr. Twitch, whose failed solo career has left him determined to get his hands on the Cuddlebunny fortune. I feel like this one started to pull it back around after last issue and give the nonsense a bit of context. <laughs> I didn't. I never understood your problem with last issue. It was just a nonsense. I was telling Abby about this, and I was like, "No, he thinks it's just silly." And it's Abby's not, like, "What decap? Ju- decap it's attack?" Not that it's just silly. It's that it was incoherent. <laughs> There's a difference, but this adds a bit of grounding for what is going on. Scottish accents not that difficult to understand. <laughs> <laughs> Scottish accents do make things like like twenty percent funnier as, as a rule. Like after pirate STC, incoherence cannot bite me you know that's fair i mean but that was purposefully <laughs> incoherent yeah, maybe um well i don't think you could claim otherwise <laughs> i really like the logic that like once mr cuddle bunny gets his hat back it's just over yeah they can't take the hat off his head again <laughs> like there must there must be a charter with all the rules about what can and cannot be done with this hat it's on his head and mctosis just goes oh no and like that's it yeah yeah <laughs> like for some reason he can't take it again so, here's the Milky Drinks line. It's on page one, panel three. What, will I do it? It's... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go you, you better had, because you're the only one with the authentic accent. It's yeah, fa- you do it. You will not believe how fortuitous this is, because I can only do a Scottish accent. I can't do <laughs> any other voice. And I'm on the... Po- this wasn't planned. I wanted to be in for Shanghai. And this is one with a Scottish <laughs> accent. Fantastic. Oh, no, keep away. I can't abide the Milky Drinks. I assumed that was like a joke about Nesquik or something, you know, because he's a rabbit. It just seemed like a softy thing, you know, to me. You know, uh, he's a big tough man, so he can he abide thy milky drinks. Because just they're lactose just... intolerant. <laughs> I, I do wonder if it's a reference to that Fantastic Four story where the thing mentions milky drinks, but I don't know. It seems like it seems nebulous enough that it could just be a thing. Tell me again, what does the thing say about milky drinks? In issue 61 of the original Fantastic Four run by Lee and Kirby, the thing says, I can't remember the exact context, it's something like, you know, oh, Sue's away doing something, and the thing goes, oh, great, why don't you just go and make her a nice milky drink to calm down? Or something mm. like that. 
Sonic uses literally verbatim the same line in a later issue of STC. Oh, oh right. Oh, you weren't. This isn't what you were talking about. It is Sonic who says it. No, I forgot this was in here. Huh. But then here it is again. Here's Milky Drinks. Oh. I wonder how many Milky Drinks we've been overlooking. No, I can't remember any previous references. I don't think so. That because it was only that later instance that I won't spoil. Okay. But it's only that later instance that I can remember. So anyway, they fight over the hat. And uh, then we get the same gag from back in that early decap strip where the policeman jumped inside Chuck's bandages. Oh, love it. But uh, everyone jumps inside Chuck's bandages to wrestle over the hat. <laughs> I get the impression for this one that Chuck is just bandages. It kind of does, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you shouldn't, but that's what it looks like. Because the, the bandages keep on curling and like his legs over there and there's nothing connecting it to his body. It's just unspooled. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't notice that about the leg, actually. Unspooled yeah. bandages. <laughs> But we do know that Chuck uh, is also made of loose stitches, so his leg. Oh yeah, that will be. Just it. have a leg that'll off. Be it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they throw it to uh, Chuck, and it's like grab the hat, and he misses it, and it falls into his bandages, falls down his neck hole. You never mm. could catch, could you? Says head. At least I have hands. And then everybody jumps into his bandages, and Chuck's sent to ribbons. I haven't felt this distressed since Ego's last homemade recipe. I liked it. But then I don't have any bowels. <laughs> and look at look at the way head is just looking straight dead into the camera. <laughs> I don't have any bowels, eh, readers? <laughs> I love how on this page Chuck's face is just getting progressively funnier as everyone jumps into him. It is just whatever shape is the funniest and <laughs> for it to yeah. be. He looks so offended. Also, you're right, he is literally just bandages because his legs come off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I absolutely love that sequence where everybody's jumping in his bandages because it's so... Yeah. Everything has been pushed and pulled to its absolute extreme Yeah. without making the characters unrecognisable. You know, everyone is still... I hesitate to say this because it's taken it way too seriously, but everyone is quote-unquote on model. <laughs> but they are stretched and pushed and pulled so far and they seem so elastic and so tense and stretched out. I love yeah. them. What even is on model in Decap Attack, really? Yeah. And then, yeah, they all sort of sit there in a big heap of, of chuck, of bandages. Look at... Oh, look at the picture on the wall! Uh, yeah, I was wondering nice. if you noticed that or not. Look at that absolute little head. A little lumpy <laughs> head, presumably. What it's... even is that? It's just a big, smiling, like, frog head looking frog... thing. Well, I mean, presume... it's probably Chuck, right? It's got about the right I sort don't of know. Shape. No, I don't assume that in the slightest. What <laughs> I just see there like a is a, a, a spot of empty panel Kitching thought he would draw <laughs> something funny into. Yeah. But it's just a big, wide, smiling head. Could be anything on a pic it's a picture frame hung up on the wall it's lovely <laughs> and then a, a voice comes out of mctosis as sparring mm. and it's uh, it's this guy mr twitch um but uh, I, I i don't know what it was about this line just as he reaches into the spar and it says prepare yourselves for a wee shock <laughs> i don't know why i find that so funny <laughs> a wee shock and yeah it's this little nasty is this nasty-looking little hamster guy who... Well, presumably he's a hamster, yeah, because it, Stein says that Mr. Twitch used to be an old cuddle bunny books, but he left to start his own series, Mr. Twitch the Happy Hamster. So one presumes, yeah, this he's a hamster. Mr. Timothy Twitch. But he's, he's, he's without fur! Yes, he's just pink, uh, except for this little bit of 
hair on the top of his head that looks really... That looks really nasty. There's something so nasty about his little mop of hair that he's got. Makes It, it looks like a toupee to me. Like, yeah. you know, it's like maybe nobody will notice he doesn't have fur <laughs> if he wears the toupee or something. It's because <laughs> of a rare skin disease. Yeah, they and bring then, it up. It's not just a character. It's not just yeah. like, oh, this is a pink character. No, Mr. Guttlebunny says, what happened to your fur? You used to be so fluffy. And it's because he had this rare skin disease. So it's either some combination of that you know, maybe the vet bills or something, or the lack of success of his own solo career mm. has brought him back for revenge. I'm not so happy now. You owe me, and I'm here to collect. That's what he wants. So he's he wants the fortune. There's, you know, there's a story has actually taken shape out of the nonsense by the end of this part. <laughs> I don't care. Give me nonsense. I don't know. I, I really like just how, like you say, just almost incoherent it is. Just like completely off the wall. Just the idea that they are both so serious and he's hired this great big menacing straw man rabbit to fight somebody called Mr. Cuddlebunny. <laughs> you guys have probably flagged this up last time, but Mick C. Mictosis. <laughs> yeah. Oh, beautiful. Brilliant. Next issue, hats off to Mr. Cuddlebunny. I'm going to assume it's the last part of this story. This doesn't feel like a premise that goes beyond three issues somehow. Let me tell you something about this Q-Zone boy, oh my lad, I'm outraged. I mean, so just on the most basic level, before we get to the main thing, this just continues STC's now pretty unbroken streak of wrong tips on how to play the Sonic games, illustrated by wrong pictures of irrelevant scenes compiled by people who are wrong. Yep. Oh good, I thought it was just me. (laughs) This is, like... The bottom right image before next issue, how to drench those Hydro City bosses, is the words game over. <laughs> like he's got a game over, seemingly on... Right at the start of the game, it's Angel Island Zone. It's the plant at the end of Angel Island Zone. Yeah, and look, I, like I understand that I've been playing this game recreationally for years and years mm-hmm. and years, and this fella is just like, hey, you've got a job to do, yeah. do a write-up. But um, game over doesn't inspire confidence in the guide, does it? No. You could have just simply not used that screenshot. There's so much they could have done, like they could have got left and right the correct way around, for example, <laughs> when they're talking about where Robotnik goes on the screen, where the waterfall is. Chris, go on, drop drop it, drop the knowledge. We had observed in previous issues, I'd said in passing, I, I don't know if this is directly reprinted from the past times, that because yeah. they've been working through all the Sonic games. But Sonic 1 and Sonic 2 were out before... STC started, so they didn't do a full guide walkthrough for all those games, but they did do it for Sonic 3. And this confirms our suspicion that yes, yeah. these are just reprinted directly from their original walkthrough for Sonic 3, and we were made sure of that fact by the fact that this is yeah. completely wrong. The same wrong. The same fuck up that they printed the first time. The same 100 could not be wronger. Yeah. And they've just reprinted it exactly verbatim as they printed it yep. originally. Where when describing the bosses of the Angel Island Zone, they describe the Act 2 boss twice yep. in different ways and claim one of them is the Act 1 boss. Yeah. That's the weirdest thing about it is they're not just getting what level it's in wrong. They go through it twice. And you can tell that they're trying to tell you how to beat that same Act 2 boss twice. But he's just once in the game. How how did this mistake happen? This, ugh, 
This f***s up immediately. Right, okay. The whole gimmick of the page is that it's... This is Sonic Solved, Sonic 3, Part 3, The Bosses. And mm. so it'll be Marble Garden, Act 1, here's the boss in Act 1. Act yeah. 2, here's the boss in Act 2. But straight away, the very first thing printed is Angel Island, Act 1. And they start to describe the Act 2 boss. And then... Act 2, and they continue to describe the Act 2 boss. What yeah, is going on? Yeah, I didn't on? quite have time to get out my copy of Sonic 3 just to check that. But I was like, this isn't right, surely. It's entirely describing Robotnik's flame machine with the waterfall boss fight. Unless, I mean, there is an Act 1 boss that does shoot flames. The one that he also shoots little bums. Do you, do you think it's that what they're describing? No, it's not, is it? No, no, he talks about the waterfall and everything. Yeah, no, no, it's Dr. Robotnik wrong. will appear from behind the waterfall. It's just wrong. And then it divides the wrongness up into Act 1 and Act 2 completely arbitrarily. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's just the next bullet point. Yeah, it's okay, so it says Act 1, Robotnik will appear from behind the waterfall and you know, fly about. Next bullet point, he'll disappear back into the waterfall and materialise to the far right behind a screen of water. Blah, 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 blah. Next column, Act 2, Dr. Robotnik's Flamecraft, also the subtitle for the first bit. Mm -hmm. Next bullet point, as soon as Robotnik appears, jump up and hit him. Quickly go left before he releases a firebomb. They're continuing to tell us about the same boss. Yeah, but starting over again. Are they starting, or are they talking about how... About... What are they talking about? It's bad. I can't <laughs> tell. Anyway, so what we've concluded is they've missed yeah. out the first Angel Island boss. Not that there needs to be any real direction on how to beat that thing. You just jump and hit it. There's nothing more to you it. You just bash it. it a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. But um, first they left out the Carnival Night Barrel and now this. It's nonsense, isn't it? <laughs> Genuine disgust caught in your throat there, dude. What a shambles this issue is, apart from the brilliant Sonic and Knuckles story. <laughs> Do you, no, but do you want to do you want to be even like more outraged and uh, to make it worse for you now? Okay. The previous printing of this was a Q zone that did both this and the Hydro City bosses. <laughs> they are literally yeah. stretching for material here <laughs> so totally that they've split up the previous one into smaller segments again. <laughs> this is the the death. We are in the death of the Q zone now. And I don't, I don't mean that as a joke. Like, I mean, they. I don't know if they're under some kind of remit to get to the yeah. end of the year with the Q-Zone, and then that's it. But it's gone after mm -hmm. they finish this Sonic 3 walkthrough. And at this stage, we're just not going to miss it. Does the Q maybe stand for quailing? Fine, fine. Is that from that chocolate advert? Yeah, uh, yes. Uh, you know everything? You know everything I say you don't understand just as you was from PowerPods. <laughs> The thing is, you need to understand what it was like, what it is like, even to this day, reading a guide for a game. Because back in the day, of course, like nowadays, you have like all these like, hey gamers, welcome to my Let's Play of Sonic 3. Uh, oh, nobody says that anymore. I don't know, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. It's more, um, nowadays it's, uh, hey, what is going on, guys? We're hey, back. what's up? Or Sonic. Yeah. Nowadays, you have endless walkthroughs. You'll be able to get the gist fairly easily. The issue is, is that when it is an older game or an obscure game, or back in the day when you only had magazines like this for reference, I would read this, I would see Dr. Robotnik's Flamecraft. Robotnik will appear from behind the waterfall at the far right of the screen. There's no bloody waterfall. Robotnik's not there. I would think, I've taken the wrong turn somewhere. I don't like, oh, I've done something wrong here. Mm. Oh no, like, what, what do I do? And there would just be, the, mm. the entirety of my Act 2 experience would be ruined by the apprehension of... Mm. 
I think I've gone the wrong way. I think I've deviated from the guide. You trusted <laughs> in the guides to be right when they were really scripted by fallible human yeah. hand as incapable as our own. <laughs> the only way I can imagine that this exact mistake could have been made is if two separate people were commissioned to make the Sonic 3 guide and they got confused and they both submitted a guide for the same boss. So, and then someone in editorial saw that got more conf- not not even confused they they were perfectly confident in their assessment that this is the description of the act one and act two bosses and put that in even though it's wrong because they wouldn't know like otherwise how how can this be how can this be how can someone who was playing the game to write down what the bosses are they, do they this twice two well different- at least we now know that it doesn't f- stand for quality <laughs> <laughs> After the Q-Zone, it's that Disney Channel ad from last issue again, looking at the Mighty Ducks and Doug. And it seems like just whenever there's an ad about what's on TV at the time we have a guest (laughs) on who wasn't on the last time we talked about it, we should throw it over to them and see what they have to say about these things. Once again, I'm going to make everybody feel really old, I'm sorry. This is is literally the... I heard the name the Mighty Ducks. Mm. I vaguely recognised the hockey mask Mm -hmm. in the shape of a duck face with the bill and everything. Mm -hmm. This is the first time I'm ever actually seeing any of the character designs or the premise at all. I wasn't completely sure whether it was about hockey or serial killers. (laughs) (laughs) But Doug, I have fond memories of ignoring brand spanking new Doug (laughs) by playing Wario Land 3. Uh, I, I, was, I was sitting there like just with my wee Game Boy, like yes, Wario Land Three. I, I, I was vaguely aware that Doug was going on in the background, but I think it should tell you how captivating Doug was. That my only memory of it was ignoring it. <laughs> I do also want to bring up the arrogance, the absolute temerity of Doug to say <laughs> Doug's first movie. He didn't have any other <laughs> movies. <laughs> the <laughs> ego on that man. His girlfriend's name was Patty Mayonnaise? <laughs> yep. Uh, well, I mean, he wanted her to be his girlfriend. He had the big crush on her. That would be the kind of name I would come up with if somebody was asking me about my fictional girlfriend at Burger King. <laughs> or names uh, Patty, uh, Patty Mayonnaise. Her name's McGriddle. But they all had weird names like that. Like, his best friend was Skeeter Valentine, you know? His uh, baby sister was named Dirtbike, you know? I don't remember if that was her birth name or if that was just what Doug I called her. I should call social services. Imagine naming your Wayne Dirtbike. Dirtbike. Bike. Oh, Dirtbike. <laughs> Dirtbike. That's better or worse, so I'll leave it up to you to decide. No, see, Dirt Bike is much better because Dirt Bike is cool, yeah. Remember, just a couple of episodes ago, we encountered a boy called michael blades that's true we did <laughs> now imagine if he'd been called dirt bike blades <laughs> michael dirt bike can you imagine a cooler dude than dirt bike blades you would not mess with that person sonic's world head in the clouds written by lou stringer art by carl flint miscredited as roberto corona carl flint colors by steve white and letters by tom frame After learning that Sonic is stuck in the Special Zone, Robotnik resolves to further demoralise the hero-less population of Mobius by launching a huge rocket built in his image into orbit as a symbol of his power. Unfortunately, he has the construction rushed, and the rocket fails and crashes upon launch. 
but when you're in charge of a planet, you can make sure that the official report says it was because of sabotage by outlaws, and not your own impatience. I find myself compelled to ask once more this issue, what was the point of all that then? Well, for me, the whole thing's a write-off because it's a minor continuity quibble. I know, right? <laughs> Dreadful stuff. He learned Sonic was in the special zone from his spy, Agent X, in Mr. Shifter, not from some monkey. Issue 87, that was yeah. five issues ago. That Like, it's not even, like, yeah. a distant bit of trivia. You know what, actually, I've decided I don't like STC in the back of this. Well, never mind then. <laughs> right, we won't put this episode out then, shall we not? No, that'll be the end of it. <laughs> that is genuinely quite annoying and disturbing that they <laughs> it is bizarre that that happened yeah because it was a the whole story was it was just... basically the only thing that the mr shifter story did that mattered was to have robotnik find out sonic was in the special zone you know now, now admittedly admittedly there's probably room to no prize it in that he didn't find out sonic was stuck in the special zone he just found out he was in the special zone okay no wait a minute so if we massage it so that this monkey has learned from the people on the street after the freedom fighters learn that sonic <laughs> is stuck there th- there's maybe room to massage it i think that's actually so acceptable that i'm turned around on it completely i think that's fine now i don't believe it was the intent of the story I don't. I feel like this was uh, written with Lou Stringer not knowing that Nigel Kitching had done a story where Robotnik found out that that Sonic was stuck in there. And you would say the editorial should have told him, but they didn't notice the thing with the Q zone. So what do they know? They know the editorial are. I think, and I, I don't mean this in a mean way or anything. Yeah. But it seems to me editorial just aren't paying attention anymore unless someone shoots a gun or something like that or tries to <laughs> hang someone. Unless it's a display <laughs> of violence. Mm-hmm. That, that's the only time editorial seem, feels like they step in at this point. They're just leaving right. the writers to their own devices. Well, this was the Deborah Tate era, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Which was, if I'm remembering correctly, she had different priorities. Um, like... Uh, for me, continuity quibbles aside, is I really like this strip because it is one of Lou Stringer's excellent little character studies on Robotnik. Mm. Lou Stringer is very preoccupied with Robotnik as like the self-defeating kind of bully. Yes, it makes some strong statements about yeah. that. Yeah, B- because all of it, this whole thing, is his own fault. He's worked himself up into this entire situation. Sonic had nothing to do with it. This is this is all yeah. him. He did some Tory cuts and it backfired. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing is, what I would expect from a Stringer strip, at this point in the comic, certainly anyway, is that this would be the comedy end of the thing. The rocket would, let's say, crash on Citadel Robotnik, and the big funny end is Robotnik sitting there with a bandage around his head going, and then Grimey has to say, actually, sir, it's because of X, Y, and Z, and it's your fault, and he's like, harumph. and that's the end and then the end is the Robotnik's like oh was it my fault I write enough so then and there's no punchline there's no and I come away from the story going what was all that about then what was that well no the punchline is that he's gonna hide his mistake from the public by putting out a false press release and I like that like I like the beat it ends on in that Robotnik actually Mm. acknowledges his own failure and is like ah I see I was right, wasn't I? An act of sabotage by those heroic outlaws. I read that panel with the art and everything, the way he's towering over Grimer. I read it as a lot more sinister. It's like, so it's, Grimer comes in, tells him the truth. Uh, Yeah, it was just because of all the the cuts and everything. And then, like, I read that as kind of like, I see. 
But the official report on the news broadcast tonight will say that it was sabotage. Understand? Oh, yeah, no, it's yeah. definitely supposed to be threatening. I don't... Yeah, I'm not... It's just like... I know Robotnik is bad and threatening already. What's the point of building him up into a self-defeating climax of a story if you're not playing it for comedy whenever it introduces no new concept, doesn't further reinforce or take his villainy to a new level? The reason is, is that Lou Stringer was raising an army of lefties. Uh, <laughs> and he succeeded, damn it. As a kid, it's like, oh, hey, sh authority figures will lie. Oh, like, you can do that? You can mm. file a false report? Yes, the fact that it to, to us it seems like very small beans... I suppose. ...has something to do with, with the time we're sitting in and how far things went. <laughs> yeah! There's something, there's something so strange simply about the fact that Robotnik calmly accepts that he made a mistake. After four pages of of what yes, feels that like was a surprise, a strip yeah. that's clearly building up to the obvious joke of it's going to fail, mm. to have the ending be Robotnik yeah. go, yeah, oh, sh right enough, and then mm. like, and I'm gonna lie about that was it. A I'm surprise, like, yeah. Where's the joke? I expect a joke at the end. The whole con the whole construction of the strip it's constructed in such a way that it feels like it's supposed to be building to a punchline. And then it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And then it don't. I'm not denying that what it does wind up doing is interesting, but it just feels like the construction of the strip is not set up to lead up to this ending. My question is, why does Grimer come in and find him sulking with his toothbrushes? <laughs> That's that Carl Flint doing that weird thing. It's a toothbrush, two pens, and a dart. It's just a cup of stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, I saw one toothbrush and just filled in the rest as toothbrushes. But no, those are pens with clippy bits, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's like whenever <laughs> there was that cup of coffee and the bacon sarnie flying around in the badnik <laughs> troop ship it's like why would yeah. those things be there i don't know it's funny to have them there why was there yeah. a little fist on that bomb short fuse and techno plant oh, yeah and, i don't know because it's funny to have it there <laughs> oh, yeah i kind of love the design of this rocket because it's not just that it's robotnik's face turned into a big silver rocket it also looks constantly <laughs> like it's doing an expression like it's <laughs> it's the fact that it's got those it's got those stress lines beaming out of it as it flies along it, it's like it's always really cross of course as we said back at the cover that that's the reason why it's not citadel robotnik launched into the air it's mm. because the story is about it failing and it crashing and exploding but i yeah. think the idea of robotnik launching citadel robotnik to become like an orbiting headquarters of his face looking to be down on his the... face because the, the reason he's done this if we didn't make it clear the reason he's done this is so that his huge leering face will always be looking down at the people of mobius reminding them who's in charge so yeah it's totally in character for him to want to do that with Citadel robotnik mm. well that's what he did with the death egg oh yeah yeah yeah. Well, I, I feel like that was so high up in orbit you couldn't see it. <laughs> Whereas this is obviously flying like 30 feet off the ground constantly. Which makes you question why he would put his face on it in the first place if nobody's going to see it. But that is absolutely <laughs> something he would do. Yeah. <laughs> what a ridiculous character. I love Robotnik so much. <laughs> I do like Flint's expressions in this when you're talking about, yeah, Grimer's. I love that panel uh, on the second to last page of Robotnik looking up at the rocket as it sputters. <laughs> with his big sad face looking up yeah. in confusion. It's not flying properly. What's wrong with it? He's so upset about it. He's so sad. There's something of a sad clown about him, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> And then it crashes and he immediately goes, Sabotage! It must be one of Sonic's allies, that fox or the echidna. 
I like that he calls them that. I like that's how he yeah. doesn't even... He's not on a first name basis with those pricks. <laughs> he just calls them the fox and the echidna. Well, they don't reciprocate. They don't call him evil. <laughs> but it, it is a pretty throwaway strip in the end. Whatever you take away from it at the end, it's a... Uh, it, it felt weirdly... I'll tell you, more than anything else, hmm. it felt weirdly throwaway at a point in time when Stringer has just, in like the last three issues, really got through reframing Sonic's world as an essential strip again after it feeling oh, right. not that for a long time. Oh, uh, I know I can see this is in line with that because it's like, it's about the regime. It's about what's going on back at home. Yeah, but nothing changes by the end of it, whereas the last three issues, something's changed at the end of the story each time, you know, there's been some yeah. shift in it, and you get to the end of this, and it's like nothing's different. suppose you can only change things so many times, can't you, in a long-running series that has to retain a status quo? And I say change, of course, the changes in the previous strip being they got short fuse, and then short fuse got sick and had to go away for a while. <laughs> were, the, <laughs> were, were the big yeah. changes to the status quo in the last couple of issues. I think short views will be fine again soon, but I don't know how long it'll take. Next issue, Season of Goodwill. Oh no! Two Crimbo stories next issue. I'm not ready for it to be Christmas. Sorry, Dave, I'm not either, but now I get to at least feel better about the fact that you don't either. Yeah, no, I really don't. We've, we left 93 behind again. We left 94 behind again. The, the purpose <laughs> of this podcast is to live in these lovely times. Now we're about to be in like a, a meantime of puberty and exams and things you're already into puberty dave i know but you know what i mean now i have to think about it <laughs> on the bandwagon this letter comes in from chris newton in patchway bristol dear megadroid hope you like my drawing of the mobian versions of my favorite bands and then that refers us to a picture just below which we'll talk about in a moment these include the smashing badniks from the smashing pumpkins <laughs> and super spin attack from massive attack Mm, and yeah. uh, if he sent in two pictures, they've only printed one. Yes. And and if he sent in two pictures, you have to wonder what the difference would be, because this just looks like a generic Sonic and Friends as a band. Yes. It's Sonic, Tails, Amy and Knuckles doing bandy things. Yeah. Uh, Sonic, Amy and Tails all have guitars and Knuckles yeah, is on the drums. And the caption that STC about it said that this is the Smashing Badniks. Yes. Um, whereas I would have thought this would be Super Spin Attack. And you know, maybe the Smashing Badniks would be a band of badniks. I see what you mean. Brutus on lead vocals and then a bunch of troopers. Yes. How impressed would we be if Chris Newton had <laughs> drawn like a sonic version of the cover of Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness? <laughs> well, uh, I, it would have gone completely over my head. But Same. then having found it out, then I've been impressed. <laughs> Megadroid replies, what a hip boomer you are, Chris. The humes around here are so old, they even remember... Susie and the Bad Nicks. <laughs> Don't mind that one. It's a good pun. It's a good that's pun. Quite, that's a good one. That's better than either of Chris's. You know, after that dry introduction, Megadroid still got the patter. He's still got it. <laughs> <laughs> I keep saying it. Megadroid's not done yet. <laughs> Next we have Elson's column from Sarah Adamson in Lanarkshire, Scotland. I'm face Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> Dear STC. I thought I'd let you know that Amy is my favourite character and Richard Elson is my favourite comic artist. Same here, Sarah. Same here. Yeah. I really admire his drawings, which sparked off my interest in comic strips. They have also inspired me to become a comic artist too. Same here. It was mm. copying... I got the Beano when I was like three or four. I got yeah. the Beano at a very young age. And I was like, oh, this is quality. You know, like, I would read it. It was fine. <laughs> is, that, is that a direct quote? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> As a kid, I was like, this is quality. 
But it was Sonic the comic that really just made me go, oh, holy shit, look yeah. what you can do with yeah. this medium. Mm. And I was sitting there, like, copying Christmas tree Sonic and everything. Yeah. And it was Richard Elson's art. And I was just like, oh, that just ooh, sparked the imagination. And same situation with me. I relate to this a lot. Mm. And uh, Megadroid replies, you're in danger of making an old man very happy, Sarah. Rude. Yeah, it's a bit cheeky. It's not, not even old now. <laughs> Uneasy Riders. Dear Megadroid, how much does Sega World cost? And does it have rides for people who get sick easily? Asks Stephen Neal of Loughborough, which is kind of around my neck of the woods. Leicestershire Mega Drive owner. Sega Mega Hogtag winner, of course. And Megadroid replies, entry to the world's largest indoor theme park, CSTC 79, will cost £9 for you, Stephen, and £12 for adult humes. Oh, this is making assumptions about the age of Stephen. We don't know this. Discounts are available for group bookings of 15 people or more if booked in advance. No mention of the key question that I think Stephen is really asking here, which is like, can I go? Yeah, will I book? Because this is someone who clearly gets very, very motion sick and is worried about going on rides. D no answer there. So... Well, there's plenty of other stuff to do at Sega World that yeah. doesn't rides, you know, so... It depends how motion sick you get. Do you get motion sick even from just playing an arcade machine? In which case... Mm. And then we've got one final drawing here from Dragos Carmason. Whoa! Ooh. Oh, that's a name! Dragos! Get you together with Michael Blades from last issue. Yeah! Carmason and Blades. Oh. Together they fight crime. <laughs> uh, from Chelsea and Essex, who has drawn Sonic doing a guitar solo and with tomatoes being thrown at him because the notes are all wonky and scribbly and bad. He's bad at guitar solos and it says, hashtag Jingle Bells. I was thinking <laughs> that. It says yeah. hashtag! <laughs> it's, a, it's literally a hashtag. That's what it said. Like, I don't know what that meant to Dragos in 1996, but. I think that is a notation. We used to use that to mean a musical note. Really? Maybe. Yeah, I think if you're posting Oh yes, it's a it's a it's a sharp, isn't it? Like a sharp and a flat. It's a sharp. Of course it is, yes. <laughs> oh, I feel like a bloody baboon now. Same. Of course it is, yeah. Well look, he's drawn a big wide one that's like a square rather than because the sharp is kind of squashed, isn't it? Usually. Yeah, it's squashed and kind of angular like mm -mm -mm, yeah, yeah, like it's italicized. Okay, that's what Dragos is going for here. He's trying to just to, to show that it's music. He's drawn a random music sign. Sonic is actually singing jingle bells. Jingle bells, and then they've commented in the next issue of STC. Because it's gonna be Christmassy. Because it's a blooming Christmas issue! Christmas issue! Chocolate mad. Uh, brings it full circle. <laughs> there we go. That brings us to the end of uh, issue number 92. Next issue, think... Think... Festive. <laughs> Festive. Uh, oh, oh, but you know what, though? Speaking of think pink, I must tell you this story. Okay. It was, uh, it was the consummate real-life STCTP story I had happened to me the other day. Okay. I was playing a bit of Sonic Mania. Uh-huh. And I was playing as Knuckles. Uh -huh. And uh, the brother sticks his head around the door and he looks at the TV and he goes, and he's only, we're, we're, he's just messing around with me. It's a way we have of messing around <laughs> with each other. And he looks at the TV and he goes, he looks at me, looks back, looks at me and he goes, Sonic, is it? He's <laughs> <laughs> like, is that what you're doing with your dad? Sonic, is it? And I go, aye, it's Sonic. <laughs> and he goes, and he looks at the screen and he goes, 
Is that him there, is it? Is that Sonic? <laughs> Knowing full well that it's not. You know, we're just messing with yeah. each other. It's Knuckles. Aye, is that him there, is it? Is that Sonic? And they go, aye, aye, David, aye, that's him. That's him. Red Sonic. That's what they call him, aye. And then oh. he very genuinely, without joking, looks at the screen, looks back at me again and goes, he's clearly pink. Yep. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Thank you. Thinking he was thinking he was making it worse, me. but he was making but it. Better. I was like, "What I have done there, <laughs> beloved brother of mine, is tricked you <laughs> into bringing to life one of the memes from the podcast I do." And he looked at me and he went, "Do you listen to yourself when you talk?" <laughs> I think you'll find I've won this argument because I like that he's pink, actually. <laughs> Think festive with a new story, a new Sonic story, Christmas Wish. And we got, uh, it's a little picture of Sonic. A very classic piece yes. of Sonic. I mean, it's old. not actually clip art. No, but it Because looks... it's, a, it's a Carl Flint drawing, but it's Sonic all curled up in his spin attack in a, in a wintry, wondery, landy sort of landscape. With just the edges of a, a Christmas cracker and what, a, a bauble, a Christmas a pud, bauble. Yeah. um being knocked away. But they're just off at the edges. Is this going to be the cover, do we think? Oh, God, I. Plus, Dr. Robotnik, Season of Bad Will. Yes, please. I like a Robotnik strip. Uh, Sonic 3 bosses, Angel Island. Nope. Oh, my God. They don't even (laughs) care enough to get what's in the Q-Zone right on the next issue page. This is a f***ing catastrophe. Now, to be fair, they've been getting a lot of the Sonic's world things wrong the last couple of issues, too, but... Plus a Sonic 3D Mega Drive review! Yes! 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 We were hoping for that. And the Crimbo Zone graphics! <laughs> That's nothing! <laughs> Plus Captain Plunder! An oddly placed upward pointing <laughs> arrow that implies someone had the shift key held down when they were trying to type something else. Decap attack! And more. Oh, no, they've held shift and hit six instead of seven. Yeah, you're right. It's meant to be and D- Captain Plunder and decap. Oh, wait, there's an and more. So did they have that above the comma on their keyboards for some reason? Well, that's what I was wondering, because like, are we all on Windows keyboards? Yeah. Oh, no. Sorry, it's, it's, it's a math equation. It's Captain Plunder to the power of decap attack and more. There you go. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. It could be, you could be right. Yeah, it could be that it's supposed to be an and. Captain Plunder and decap attack and, and more. more. But, you know, one would think it should be a comma, grammatically speaking. Whatever's happened. It's Something wrong. was wrong. <laughs> Something's wrong. And now we close the cover on issue 92. And Dave, mm. I'm not sure if you know what that means. I bet Shami has reached it, has raced ahead to know what that means. Issue 92. Oh my God. We are now. No. Halfway no. through. Sonic the comic. Well. This is the halfway point, kids. STC 93 on sale Wednesday, the 11th of December. The 11th <laughs> of December, 1996, £1.20. Oh. I've, I've, ne- I've nearly got Miss Nez. <laughs> I'm going to be dead soon. <laughs> <laughs> Did you die at Christmas 1996? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not back then. Right. This isn't like the Ghost of Christmas Future shit who's come back to do this podcast. It's a, I, I mean, the time is mercurial and moving yes. so quickly. And you can march into the future with us on future episodes, which you'll find most places good podcasts are available, but you can also download them directly from our website at stctp.zone. But wherever you get them from, leave us a review, would you? Hi, go and do it. Hi, hi, leave us. Hi. You can follow the podcast on Twitter. <laughs> Sound like I'm telling you off. You can follow the flipping podcast on Twitter. Oh my God, on Twitter? <laughs> Jesus Christ, like, don't you? 
You can follow the podcast on Twitter on uh, at. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Sonic Podcast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Sonic Podcast. Can you? It doesn't sound like you can. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find us there separately. I'm at Demon Tomorrow Dave. I am at Chris McFeeling. And we've got a guest who we shall now invite to plug themselves. I'm Shame That's S H A Y M A Y at Shame underscore on Twitter. Stop! As we are all aggravatingly aware, the days of telling people where to find you with a single easy at may have just been purchased, stripped, and crumbled into a silly heap. So, boomers should be aware that there are now more ways to contact us all. There's Mastodon, which is almost exactly like Twitter, despite what you might hear people say about it being confusing. The confusion is because of a very slightly different interface, the benefit of which is total protection against capitalist buyouts and extra protection against right-wing pylons. Think of it like two-factor authentication, a minor pain, but ultimately a cushion of pleasant safety. It does mean finding yourself a friendly instance to sign up to. And yeah, I know, that's the confusing part, but don't worry, we've fixed it for you. Our web guy Spanky has set one up for all of us, so that we don't have to worry about any of that and we can just get on with it. If you are a listener, you can either do it the easy way, which is to go to our website at stctp.zone and click the Mastodon link there, or the hardcore nerd way, which is go to speedlines.stctp.zone and sign up there. Or if you're signing up in an app, I use Tusky, then you can type in speedlines.stctp.zone when it asks you what instance you want, that's all. When you're joining, it will give you a box to type in something that shows you're a listener rather than a bot. Put anything at all, you know, an STC memory, a comment about the podcast, one of our little in-jokes, anything you like. Once we've let you in, think of it like a tutorial island. You can hang out there with other STC boomers learning the ropes until you feel ready to hop over to a bigger server, or just stay there forever. It's all the same, it's not an exclusive STC discussion space, it's just how to get onto Mastodon. To find us there, look for Demon Tomato Dave and Chris McFeely at stctp.zone. This fortnight's guest, Shame is to be found at mastodon.scot forward slash at Shame S-H-A-Y-M-A-Y. And we also have a Discord now! Abby set it up a few weeks ago and it is thriving! There's loads of people in there chatting STCTP with us, so if you'd like to do that, uh, well, you'll need an invitation really, so uh, get in touch! But we post the invitations on the Twitter quite often. I've posted one in the Patreon, and if you contact us on Mastodon, well, then we'll know you already proved you're a listener, so we'll probably shoot you a link there too! I know, it's a bit puzzling, isn't it? But it'll all shake out soon and we'll all think that it's absolutely normal and get on with using these new things. Speedlines.stctp.zone for the Mastodon and just sort of look around and ask us for the Discord. I do very long videos. I sometimes occasionally do comic art, including art for Sonic the Comic Online. Sometimes I type out my accent phonetically, which is very fun for non-native English speakers. Americans. And, and Americans, which, <laughs> same difference. Get, uh, <laughs> get Shamey's videos watched. There's the Sonic Spitball ones I mentioned before. There's a beginner's guide to classic Sonic if you don't... If you if you have fallen for the American propaganda <laughs> that classic Sonic games are both at the same time hold right to win and if you do that you'll die and it won't be fun. Wrong and wrong and Shamey's got a guide to explain exactly what it really is. <laughs> you can support this show on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash stctp where a donation of any amount will get you access to the bonus vault full of videos where we look at the Martin Adams Sonic novels published here in the UK and we go through Dave's dreadful fanfic The End of Mobius and we will start some new stuff in the new year you'll I suppose you'll be hearing this in uh, November we'll be starting the last book and uh, the <laughs> six sad continuation 
these horrible little worlds in the new year. <laughs> That's right. And also, our opening theme is called Synchronize, and it's by a band called Sonic the Comic Band, who you can find at sonicthecomic.bandcamp.com, and that is who they are. But we are Sonic the Comic the Podcast, and we will see you next time. time.